Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Jack Harper, Sean Shute and Keenan Bonner. The matchup we'll be getting into today is 2005's Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith versus 2015's Everest. How is everyone doing today? All good. All bit, a bit tired. Going to be... Bit of a change to the week. I mean, we're recording this a little earlier in the week than usual, so I'm going to be out of sync as we get later on. But you know what they say the grind doesn't stop. Where there's a world, there's a way. We've made it happen. And here we are. <laughs> Keenan, um, start of a great two weeks for you. Star Wars this week, Lord of the Rings next week. I imagine yeah. you're pumped up for this pod. I will probably be at about a five out of ten in terms of enthusiasm next week. By the time I've watched Lord of the Rings, I'll probably be miserable. I did say to you um, before we get into the film that no matter how long Star Wars Revenge of the Sith feels, um, Lord of the Rings is an hour longer. So, do you want, do you want the short answer? Because I don't think I don't think I ever gave you an answer on that, did I? On what? How long Star Wars felt? No, but we'll get there. So oh, we will. we're going to go in with positive vibes. <laughs> the synopsis of Star Wars Episode Three: Three years into the Clone Wars, the Jedi rescue Palpatine from Count Dooku, as Obi Wan pursues a new threat. Anakin acts as a double agent between the Jedi Council and Palpatine and is lured into a sinister plan to rule the galaxy. That was about 300 words too long. The only reason anyone was going into Revenge of the Sith was to see Anakin become Darth Vader. That should have been the synopsis, surely. (laughs) I mean, that is what we're waiting for. And you know it's happening, but you will the whole film and watch it the first time. Just will it not to happen? Yeah, so true. I don't know. I was, I was oh, quite uh, cheering it on when he gets the mask on for the first time. But we'll get into the great scenes later. I mean, that that's the ultimate like that's the payoff when you get to that bit. Yeah. I, I was just before you go on. I was going to say I think both of these films are unique in a sense that. There's lots of times in both of these films where you hate certain characters for certain decisions that they make. Okay. I've not felt like that for many other films that we watched in the bracket <laughs> so far. We'll get into it. Well, I imagine Jack probably... Actually, we'll set the scene here before we get into it. I think this pod is going to be interesting. We spoke about this a little bit uh, on Monday's podcast where we said, essentially, we do have both ends of the spectrum here with Jack where he is... Uh, I mean, as far as scale goes, probably a Star Wars super fan. I mean, I've mentioned something before and he's spoken to me about like a uh, force regeneration and things like this. And I thought, what on earth are you talking about here? <laughs> Whereas Keenan, I mean, Keenan, you've not even seen every Star Wars film, have you? So we are quite literally at opposite ends. No, this was the first time I'd watched this all the way through. So there we go. Um, so it'd be interesting to see because you'd imagine uh, if we can get an objective view from Keenan on certain things here, that he's at least the best equipped to say how the film's put together, maybe, because you're, you're not going in, kind of, the payoff isn't so much of a payoff for you because you've not sat through the other five films prior. So, as an individual No, I'd film, seen, uh, no, I'd seen 
the first the first original trilogy I've seen. All okay. of them. I've seen the Man- Phantom Menace. I've seen the first four, if you will, multiple times. Right, so... And then I've never seen the only bit. I haven't seen the second one in any detail. Is or the fifth like... one, sorry. Someone saying like, "Is this sound to you, Sean? Like TK saying he doesn't like pizza because for someone who doesn't like Star Wars." I was a child. Have you seen four of six at this stage? <laughs> like, how else am I going to know if I've not watched them? How else can I say I've, I don't like it? That's just how that works. <laughs> the, the Otherwise, TK... I would say I don't like the idea of it. Well, I mean, the TK pizza one is is so good though. Just on that note. I've never known anyone not like the amount of times I've seen him eat pizza for someone who doesn't like pizza. Oh, I've not known anyone else like ketchup on ice cream either, Sean. So these things. Ketchup he's an old on man. Ice? You know, I know it's about TK. Let's ketchup on his ice cream. <laughs> oh no! Don't yeah, know where you've been. You're pulling my leg here, but I'm not. I'm not. Not like Jack. Before you got on, by the way, and this this is very off key. Can you have you had anything worse than Sean? has got salmon and cheese fish cakes in the oven. That actually sounds quite nice. <laughs> we, are, we are splitting half this podcast. I like salmon and I like cheese. But... I mean, you and can put cheese on any... And he's got beans with that, so <laughs> his room is going to absolutely stink. <laughs> yeah, the smell is going to be unpleasant, but I imagine it's quite nice. Salmon, yeah, cheese yeah. and beans. So what I was getting to before this... Fun was and I'll go to you here Sean what yeah. do you think the reviews are like for this film <sighs> I, I, I hate this question when you ask it well I imagine Jack I'm never going to get it right so I'll, I imagine because thinking about thinking back to what it was like the, the prequels compared to the originals I imagine they're, they're bad but well I was I was reading back at the kind of reception that each of the prequels got. And it was kind of a collective theme like we get with the DC films now, where people were gassing themselves up so much that, like, this is going to be great, that the reviews couldn't possibly live up to it. So the first two films are universally just trashed when you look at any of these critics' reviews. I'll give you what we've got here. So... Lucas almost seemed bored by the last two films, but his passion for Sith is very apparent on screen. This tells the story of the downfall of the Jedi and the rise of Darth Vader well, and that's all I ever wanted out of the prequels in the first place. Sums it up quite nicely there. Uh, The technical wizardry, the special effects, the ear-buzzing sound, the mind-numbing action, and those magnificent lightsabers are all there. It soon becomes obvious that there is no avoiding the burden of predictability. There is nothing essentially in the film's story that we don't know already. I do have a question about that a little later. And then finally, despite our knowing where the story goes, Sith keeps your attention through its 140 plus minutes. And that says something about Lucas's skill and the power of the universe he created. I won't ask you yet, Keenan, if it did keep your attention for 140 plus minutes, as I do fear I know the answer there. But I've got some Star Wars trivia here. Jack, it may be a bit light for your taste, but uh, I felt for the purpose of the pod, that's knowing whether it's a difference between like Tatooine and Coruscant. You're 
painting me out to be some sort of super nerd here. Well, no, I'm saying that. No, you're 100. There's right. some trivia where it's like this scene was originally going to take place on Tatooine, but instead it took place on Coruscant. That doesn't mean much to people other than those who are in deep. And you are at the latter end of the uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm at the deeper end, I would say. So, Keenan, if you can picture this, the original cut of this movie ran nearly four hours. The opening battle and Palpatine's rescue alone ran over an hour. Oh, I, I actually just wouldn't have watched it. <laughs> so... <laughs> The extra footage of the Palpatine rescue scene is shown in the video game for this movie, which is why you do get some extra footage, which um, there's a little more on that as well. Uh, is this longer? <clears throat> how long is the actual scene? Uh, I think you're in and out in about 20, 25 minutes. I was going to say if it was longer than the, the Bond one. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's split into so, more yeah. parts as well. I suppose it is, yeah, yeah. Because you've got kind of the... It starts almost with like a bit of a battle in space, doesn't it? Then you've got the landing and then kind of going through to retrieve Palpatine. You've got Obi-Wan going down in the process. And so there's a lot oh, there's going loads, on. There? Yeah, DQ yeah. and then Grievous. Yeah, Grievous. Yeah. Uh, the images of the volcanic eruption on Mustafar's is uh, real footage of Mount Etna in Italy, which was erupting at the time of the production. So George Lucas got someone over there with a camera, and this is why he didn't have to use quite so much CGI as perhaps he's uh, got a reputation for using. That's brilliant. Great a 10-year-old ten, Han Solo was going to appear during the Battle of Kashyyyk as an orphan being raised by Chewbacca, he would have helped locate General Grievous by finding part of a transmitter droid that was sending signals from Utapau, allowing Obi-Wan to find and confront the villain. Good or bad that you didn't get that? I reckon that would have been good. I think it would have been good, but it ruins the solo story. And I feel that's was, was he raised help. by Wookiees? No, he wasn't. Okay, there we go. <laughs> that makes more <laughs> sense. It would have written off it, it would have a been, lot of things. Yeah, it would have completely written off the solo movie, which I imagine they made millions on. So it's probably, I bet they're glad they didn't. Although, to be fair, Lucas hasn't really stopped that affecting him before, even going against kind of his own timelines. Like, he just puts something in place, and doesn't he, saying, like, there's overlapping timelines and things like that. Yeah, that's true. So I'm sure he did got past it. The solo movie I did quite like as well, so would have been a yeah. shame if we didn't get that. Um, the Wookiee costumes from the film sported a new arterial system that pumped ice-cold water to help cool down the actors wearing the suits. There you go. How's that for workers' rights? bit different to Tom Cruise's uh, <laughs> a repeat suit. <laughs> Every clone trooper in the film is CGI. Not a single real clone costume or helmet was featured in this movie. Oh, that makes you feel horrible. Uh, yeah, I bet they saved an absolute fortune as well. <laughs> yeah, but you, you would have thought that they could sell those off for thousands. Well, jumping ahead, but when we compare this next week um, to the amount of extras they used for the armies in Lord of the Rings, it couldn't be a bigger polar opposite there. Mm. Uh, the final look for General Grievous's face was inspired by the shape of bathroom detergent spray nozzles. 
um, one of the early concepts of General Grievous was a small child sitting on a floating chair. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, Gary Oldman. I, I just got this Sorry. great image of them seeing this kid on a chair thinking, you know what? <laughs> well, it was General Grievous was going to be voiced by uh, Gary Oldman. Um, but he pulled out of the movie because it was being made using actors who are not part of the Screen Actors Guild, of which Oldman is a member. And after our interview uh, with Carlos Carrasco, we are now experts about the guilds and uh, different unions in America, so we can see his point. <laughs> this was the second highest grossing movie of 2005. Keenan, do you know what the number one was? What, what year? 2005? Yeah. No, I was going to have a guess, but go on. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Uh, no, I, don't, I wouldn't have got that. Is you'd that imagine, UK or worldwide? Worldwide. So you'd imagine for them releasing this, that was probably what they looked at, like this is our competition for the year. So that probably mm. was a bit of a kick in the teeth. Uh Palpatine actually creating Anakin has been a popular fan theory. In an earlier draft of the movie's screenplay, the point is made more clearly with uh, Sidious telling Anakin, I arranged for your conception. You could almost think of me as your father. Did you hear that? I, I was like, cut out. No, I, I was just shocked that... I'm just trying to do the maths in my head. Because like, what I don't get about the new Star Wars films is that Palpatine is just a shagger. Well, this they, there is like more of it where like this was more like your Virgin Mary style like he was created with like parts of the force apparently right okay but it didn't make much sense to me so there we go um, Christopher Lee filmed all of his scenes in two days uh, his filming schedule was moved up to pick up shots because uh, he was filming Lord of the Rings The Return of the King at the time in New Zealand so all of his scenes were shot in front of a green screen and uh, his quarters had not yet been built, so. Did not know that. He didn't even get to be on set to have his head cut off. I, f- I find that funny as well, because he's not even in Return of the King. He, he, he's so, completely from the movie. Yeah, well, there's, there was that's quite an issue with that as well. Yeah. Um, the PS2 Xbox game in this movie had an alternate ending in which Darth Vader kills Obi-Wan. Moments later, Darth Sidious and the clone troopers land on Mustafar, and Sidious congratulates Vader for killing Obi-Wan and that the galaxy is now theirs. Darth Sidious presents Darth Vader with his new lightsaber. Vader Vader betrays Sidious and stabs him through the upper torso with his new lightsaber. Sidious collapses to the floor dead, and Vader proclaims that the galaxy is his. I do remember playing the game, but I don't remember that ending. No, it's quite the opposite, actually. Last night I was watching it, and I was thinking, I have this weird feeling in my head that somewhere he stabs him. And now you've just unlocked this memory that... It was a great game. Yeah, it was a decent game. Because yeah. when I was watching the final scene, all I could think of was playing the level of uh, jumping between the platforms and just doing your strikes like it's a Crash Bandicoot game. <laughs> they did that, that amazing versus mode as well, where you could, it's almost like Tekken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's playing my brothers. Um 
During the final battle scene between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan tells Vader that he has the advantage because he's on higher ground. During a special episode of Mythbusters, they learn to use surrogate lightsabers and restage the battle. They conclude that there is little or no advantage to having the higher ground in this situation. It's over, Anakin! I have the high ground! You underestimate my power! Don't try it! I always thought this, that when it was said the first time, I always thought it's over. You don't think he can't do this? And why doesn't Anakin just run, jump a little bit in front of him? So I read something previously, and this hasn't been confirmed by George Lucas or anything, but they say that they think originally there was going to be a scene, whether it was in uh, Phantom Menace um, or Attack of the Clones, where Anakin's getting his training and there's some kind of reference where he has the higher ground, basically. And this was going to be a teaching and it was going to link back, which would make far more sense because, and I spoke to you about this, Jack, it seems the whole way through the film they're trying to give Obi-Wan a catchphrase and then of all the things it ends up being this that's carried on more than anything. And hello there. (laughs) Hello there. Well, the one that got me was him saying, uh, it's for democracy. But he says it like he's really saying like a bar at that point. And <laughs> it's like his accent comes out. I don't really know what it is. He's like an action man where that he just wants to have any phrases pulling his back, but doesn't quite pay off the same as that, which I imagine when we get around to best quote, that could be right up there. <laughs> Uh, during the final confrontation between Anakin and Obi-Wan, a different scene was conceived that, is, that was ultimately overturned by George Lucas. In the end, Anakin would have had Obi-Wan by the throat, about to strike the final blow, and Anakin says, I'm sorry it has to be this way, my master. Anakin swings his lightsaber for Obi-Wan's head, but during that move, Obi-Wan force pulls his lightsaber from, dif- from a different direction and uh, cuts through Anakin's arms. Uh, the stunt coordinator says that they battled so hard to try and keep the scene in, but in the end, George Lucas wanted the now infamous high ground scene to stay. What would you yeah, have preferred? I kind of like the idea of like the up close and personal killing slash maiming. I, <laughs> I, again, if you're Obi Wan, you've gone that far. Why don't you just finish the job off? Yeah, that's that's one of the things that is a gripe, um, and there are a number of gripes in this film, but that that is a massive one. Um, but he does say, doesn't he, he kind of says in the scene beforehand that he travels there where he tells Yoda, like, I won't kill him. Yeah. But then during the whole time of that scene, he's telling Anakin, I'll do what I have to do. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson said that he knew he must die in this movie, so he told George Lucas that he would only do the film if he could go out in a blaze of glory and not like some sucker. On an American late night talk show, he confirmed that he did, in, he did indeed have a meaningful death scene and does not go out like some punk. Keenan, did you enjoy having uh, Samuel L. Jackson around? Yeah. Just did try... Yeah, it was okay. It's nice to see Samuel L. Jackson, but in a kid's film, he doesn't quite get to be Samuel L. Jackson, does he? If Mace Windu's running around calling everyone motherfucker, I'd probably enjoy it a little bit more. 
so from memory, I think Snakes on a Plane must have come out like two years after this, a year after this. 2006, Snakes on a yeah, Plane, which I is think. kind of when he becomes like meme Samuel L. Jackson, which he then becomes for like, well, up until now, basically. Mm, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Uh... He's taken more seriously before Snakes on a Plane. Snakes on a Plane is him essentially saying like, I'll do what I fancy there. No, I, I get that. Um, yeah, I, maybe. I mean, well, he says stuff, he's I've had his, it his biggest with his things. motherfucking states on his motherfucking plane, and that's yeah. when things pop off from there, and they just cram him saying motherfucker into every single film. But I mean, he's been doing. But he had been doing that. I think that's more people recognised it than because he. Yeah, that's what. So what, if you, when I you kind of you. mock it in your own on screen, it, it takes a life of its own, doesn't it? <clears throat> Yeah, I suppose so. I, 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 I can't, honestly, I don't have a lot of memories of Snakes on a Plane, mate, to be honest. Or... It's Jack's wild card. Is it? <laughs> that is what, bracket. What, what's my wild card? Snakes on a Plane. Snakes on a Plane. Fucking hate that. <laughs> I hate that film. It's a classic. He's, uh, yeah, Samuel, Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson is good in this, I feel like. His lightsaber is obviously the best one as well. Yeah, that yeah, Everyone true. did want that purple lightsaber slash pink lightsaber. I think they should have gone the way they did with Liam Neeson after taking. You should have had snakes on a train. You should have had snakes on a bus. Snakes on a boat. With Samuel L. Jackson in all of these situations. <laughs> and that would have made money. <laughs> the only thing I don't like about plane films is that because there's no backstory to any of the characters, they all have to just so, I, I think I'm scarred by Sharknado versus Giant Octopus, or is it Mega Shark oh. versus Giant Squid? I goes, can't, you've just slated Snakes on a Plane, and you've just opened with, it takes me back to Sharknado. Yeah, well, it's just, they're cruising at like 40,000 feet, and they've started with the general small talk. There's like a little bit of turbulence, and they go, Phew. I'm getting married tomorrow. So like, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he sits back in his seat. And then looks out the window and then a shark just jumps up to 40,000 feet and nailed this plane. And it's uh, usually from getting like the wrong seat or something, isn't it? Yeah. I just can't hack plane films now because everything's like, so, what's your story? And it, that's how they all meet each other. What about the World War Z South Park episode with Cartman on the plane? <laughs> yeah, that is good. <laughs> uh, last bit of trivia then. The Order 66 scene was originally much more violent and upsetting and featured the entirety of the Jedi Temple massacre, the gatekeeper getting impaled through the head and the younglings getting hacked to pieces on screen. Master Skywalker, there are too many of them. What are we going to do? I feel like this is this footage we need to see is can can't it be like a Zack Schneider cut? Where... Sean, I can hear you eating your damn fish cakes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they should have they should have at least filmed this. <laughs> your damn fish cakes. <laughs> yeah, I, I know they should have made it available to people that want to see this. Because if you remember was... on the actual game, I guess the game is everything the film isn't when it comes to the scene because you just go in and just hacked to death like all the Jedi in there I just find it 
odd that all these Jedi have made it through the Clone Wars against soldiers that are just as good as the clones. And then all but, of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's just like, oh no, now we're just going to all die. That Mace Windu scene where he has two Jedi's flanking him on either side. Two of that, uh, three of them, that thought- two of them don't even notice before <laughs> they've been stabbed, and another one's still looking at the wall when he gets hit. <laughs> Yeah, considering considering they're all Jedi masters, that yeah, that's that arguably the worst part for me. I find, I find it odd as well that like all of the Jedi masters in like the temple have regular contact with what is Darth Sidious, and they can't sense someone that powerful with the Force from like three foot away across the desk. It, it's worth thinking that. So they've got all these younglings in this uh, temple or whatever it's called. Even when uh, they've assembled and it's just Yoda, um, Obi-Wan, no one goes to check on these younglings before they have been hacked to death. Like They just kind of reconvene there and that's what they find. Like No one says, we need to get back here or the younglings are left on their own. They're just left for Anakin to slice to pieces. And the kid that played him is uh, is English. His mum just kind of just put him in to try and do some acting classes when she was younger um, mm. with like TV adverts and things like that. He ended up getting a role in the Star Wars film. They just kind of picked him out to have the line. He still sells autographs today for about 20 quid a pop for these like Star Wars mega fans. He's just a uni student in Nottingham. That's amazing. I found his Instagram. Did ask him to come on the pod. Didn't... Uh, didn't answer. Maybe if we chucked him 20 quid, but don't fancy <laughs> speaking to him that much. But yeah, all his Instagram is him just flogging these autographs that people are obviously paying for because he set up his website to specifically be selling them. And I've got to admire, over that. Got to admire like, the hustle. Yeah, the character's name, uh, Saws Bandim. I can't remember his name, but it is essentially just an anagram of his name if that helps with how they got to some other Star Wars names. I mean, another another thing is like how. I mean, I know it's like obviously it builds up over the film, but realistically, Anakin turns very quickly considering <laughs> he was he was about to he was happy for Mace Windu to take the chance into uh, well to, to arrest him. Then he ends up killing him, and then suddenly he then starts killing kids. <laughs> very quickly, there's, there's a lot of people that uh, are very hypocritical in this because. Mace Windu is his entire character is basically based around being the most by the book Jedi that there is. And then, as much as it makes sense what he's saying, like there's no point bringing him in front of the Senate because he owns the Senate, as he does say. But he jumps very quickly to, no, let's just kill him. And the one that gripes me the most is uh, when Anakin has got a lightsaber either side of Dooku's neck. And Dooku is kind of just on his knees there while Palpatine is spurring him on. He could blow the whole thing up there and say, he's the Sith Lord. He's the guy that's been telling me what to do. And instead, he just stays there and has his head cut off. He doesn't know, though, does he? He, doesn't, he does. That? He's being well, commanded he by him. Christopher Lee knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. That, that's how he gets into his custody in the first place that they patched this plan because i did wonder like when i first watched it it's like 
how have they just randomly picked up the senator and no one else? Like, <laughs> and why have they got his own chair in his own room? I just, I just couldn't get my head around that. How have they managed to kidnap him? But then you delve into it and you realise it was all a plan. One of the talking points I had down was, obviously we go into this film with a level of knowledge before and we're just kind of waiting for the dots to be connected. I don't know if even with them like filming it, they kind of present it as if we don't already know that Palpatine is Darth Sidious. Like they have the music as if it's a shock and they dedicate quite a large part of the opening hour to be, we need to find out who this Sith Lord is. And I don't know if they needed that, but the fact that, it's not like he has a mask on. There's only one very wrinkly guy in this film that has a very prominent voice. <laughs> like that—that's the thing. Like you wouldn't, as, as a Jedi, you'd think that. Oh, hang on a minute. This is quite similar to Palpatine. And Palpatine's well, in think, even for us with the purpose of kind of watching it. Like we do get a great scene where he tells the story of um, Darth Plagueis, or however it's pronounced. That, that's a great scene there. And it seems like they have basically told uh, Ian McDermott, who plays who plays him, to just go nuts. And he does go nuts as the character and just has like free, free scope because he really does put his all into it. He, he doesn't do the lightsaber scenes himself, by the way, if anyone did wonder. <laughs> One thing that groped me is, and I noticed it this time around, when they're in the Jedi Temple and they see... Um, Anakin rising being like the hollow records whatever they are <laughs> he goes Where, where's the emperor sent him he's not yet the emperor he's still just the chancellor like the, they haven't made the empire the empire comes in the scene after that I quite like with that where um, Yoda tells him you don't want to watch this and everyone's like look there's nothing I can see and it's going to be oh my god I don't want to see this <laughs> I can't watch <laughs> he, he does stay to see about three of them sliced as well and then he's like this is a bit rich for my blood this, this is too much for me here it's testament that we love this film so much that these quotes have no bearing on how what? much we love the film there's a lot of foreshadowing in that opening scene and I don't know if that's maybe where you can see they originally intended for it to be longer like Obviously, the irony with they're rescuing the guy that ultimately brings their downfall towards the end of the film. Obi-Wan says in the opening scene or opening sequence, is probably better to say, he says, Chancellor Palpatine, Sith Lords are our specialty. And then gets knocked out straight away. <laughs> yeah, and even then, just kind of the foreshadowing of... Do you think... He doesn't know that. I was thinking... Um... The point you just made there, I don't know whether they've done that deliberately from the, the Palpatine aspect, like trying to figure out if he's a Sith Lord. Is just Are they trying to appeal to people who have, are only watching this film? It's like that. Is that maybe what they're trying to do there? I don't know if it's like a wink down, down the camera, basically, because a lot of this film is like, we both know what's happening here. And I don't know if it's just one of them, because you get a couple of these, obviously, as I said, the rescuing it there. Uh, he says, all who gain power are afraid to lose it, and that's essentially what the entire film is based around. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot in this, and it's interesting what you've said there, because in comparison, so I only found out 
well, this week when I was doing the research, that my, my main gripe's always been that we don't see enough general grievous. A guy who can wield six lightsabers at a time should be given all the screen time that they can possibly cram him into. Now, I know from speaking to Jack that he's the main villain in the Clone Wars series. Clone Wars, yeah, yeah. And the whole thing with him having a cough is supposed to be due to a battle with Mace Windu where he's crushed some of his torso or something, and that's why he can't breathe properly. But it does take away from the purpose of the film because you, you have this great towering villain and then you give him a smoker's cough within the first two minutes of seeing him. <laughs> it's just a very odd way to go about it because you take away from him being this all-powerful being. Gives him that, I don't know, that evil look. They're giving him, like, a Russian accent as well. <laughs> <laughs> like, who can we give a Russian accent? They were like, we couldn't get Gary Oldman, who's next? And they yeah. just... Press so the like, random button and see what they got. It's like the Albanians from uh, <laughs> Take It. It's just Eastern Europeans have just caught another L. Uh, I, I drew a comparison to Avatar in this. Um, with the way that Palpatine essentially wins Anakin over, where he's supposedly a good guy in the eyes of the characters in the film, saying, like, I have this life-changing way I can help you much further down the line, i.e. saving Padme. But I can't give you that now unless you do what I say. And it's like that general at the start where he casually says, hey, look, you do well for me, son. I can get you back your legs. <laughs> like he's doing him a, a, a favour, just a little favour on the side. And you, you should be able to tell things by that point, the kind of bloke he's dealing with, but apparently not. I think... <laughs> No, no, he's gone. All right, Keenan, we'll go back to you again. Um, <laughs> so when you see a lot of the criticism of this film, and I will say that the critics' reviews I got were kind, there's a lot of them that are quite literally like throwing this in the bin. Hayden Christensen takes more stick than anyone, saying that he can't act, that any kind of criticism about this film is due to him dragging it down. Do you think he's a bad actor in this film, or do you think he's not given much to work with? I think both both can be true. If you had to lean <clears throat> more one way, excuse me, sorry. Uh, I mean, I don't think he's good. I don't think he's good in any of the things that I've ever seen him in. <laughs> Come on, Jumper <laughs> is a good That's film. Have some respect for Jumper, yeah. I like that film, but is he good in it? Yeah, I think he is. I mean, I've not rewatched it. In fairness, okay. I Jamie don't Bell, think Jamie, Jamie Bell. Bell Jamie Bell is yeah. good in that film. Yeah, yeah. I agree, but I don't necessarily think. I actually watched Jumper at the cinema, and I remember like, jeez, not great. It's a rough one for him. Um, I, I remember I don't... he did a film uh, called Awake, which was essentially uh, a guy goes in for an operation. He's awake as it's going on, and overhears that the people doing the operation are trying to kill him. And they sold him. He, he was uh, Jasper Alba was in the lead role. I don't think he's that bad of an actor because you see some of these guys like, okay, yeah. I mean, he he's he's not your 
Matthew McConaughey. He's not like no, a no, top take, level actor. Keep, keep, keep going, tumbling down, tumbling down, tumbling down. But, then you'll find but, his range. But, but he's pretty see, enough that if he was, if he was like a five out of ten actor, he was good looking enough that he would have carved out a good career. Well, that's this is the I was going to make the opposite, and I was going to say he's not like you see a film like Final Destination, and you get men in there and you get women in there where you're like you are literally an actor because you look good in front of the camera. I don't think he's that. Like, I don't think he's, he's a bad actor. I don't think he's I, elevating a bad film to be good. I, I, think I he's genuinely think... The level of the film. I, I, I think you could give him an average film and he would make it worse. I think that's harsh. I mean... Mate, really, they've got, a star in, they've got a star in Natalie Portman there. And... I think it's fair to say they couldn't have cast someone that had any less chemistry with her. Like, I don't believe that they're in a relationship at all. And I, I know it's kind of a PG-13 film, as, as you are in America. The dialogue between them is some of the most brutal I've ever heard. That little conversation they have about, you're so beautiful, oh, well, maybe love's blind. Oh, so are you saying I'm only good looking because love's made you blind? It was a weird conversation I don't think they needed to have, but even the conversation where she's saying she's having a kid, like, I think she's as bad as he is in this. Like, I don't think she's playing this to some great level and he's dragging her down. No, I'd like to say, I, I did say my first point was both can be true. I do think some of the dialogue in this is shite. Yeah, I, I feel I like I'm to be being a Hayden Christensen defender. I feel like he's essentially in a position here where he's supposed to go into the second film as having this kind of boyish charm as he's kind of the, the up-and-comer. And then at the flick of a switch here, he isn't given like the span that he should be given over a two-hour, 20-minute-long film where he can have like a Macbeth-style like breakdown as it goes through. He's essentially at the flip of a switch, like, you're a good guy and now you're an evil guy. He dials it up a lot in this. Like, he really goes for some bits that are just like, okay, cool. <laughs> just calm the fuck down. Like, some of the, like, no, he really goes for it. And, I, I, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not his greatest fan. The main word you see to describe him here is, is, is whingy. Mm. They say he's supposed to be, like, the baddest man in the galaxy, which is something that everyone should aspire to be described as. And he's just very sulky, isn't he? It's hard to believe that he goes on to be the most vicious guy that there that is possibly out there. I think it's done to show that <clears throat> any kind of emotion in a Jedi, that's where the path can lead to. And then the anger and the hate comes when Padme dies and knowing that he was the cause and it was kind of right fuck it i'm going all the way i'm going balls it balls on the table here you're all fucking you're all fucking getting it now because i killed she's good she's got a lot to answer for here that whole death with her i don't know who signed that off like if you'd said that she died as a result of her wounds by being force choked by anakin then fair enough she she's being suffocated and she uses her last breath to say Anakin. Very weird to start with. Then she she just kind of goes sleeping beauty style on the floor. Doesn't look like she's kind of been knocked out. 
And then she comes to, is put two babies in front of her and say, she's not going to last much longer. She's lost her will to live. She's given up on life. She's just had twins. What awful woman she is. <laughs> Don't forget she's a pedophile as well from the first film. He meets Anakin when Anakin's like, what, seven or eight? And she's the, the queen of Naboo currently, so I imagine she's an adult. <laughs> and, then, and then a few few years later, they're now the same age. But... You saw what that car did for Danny Zuko in Greece. When she saw Anakin pod racing, <laughs> it was over. <laughs> again, though, that again that, that kind of scene just felt rushed as well. Considering how long the film is, considering how much they cut out, they did a few bits that are rushed. So I was reading that there's kind of uh, like a written text that goes alongside this where they've got kind of the screenplay to the script to this. And supposedly there was so much more where you at least get Anakin having some kind of moral dilemma. You see more of his kind of attachment issues with Padme because uh, of the way that he uh, had his his mum murdered and so he's basically clinging to her and all of this. And they essentially axe all of that out and he has a slight in the moment kind of moral issue where he's in the wrong, but he also could be the person that can save the woman I love. Slices off Mace Windu's arm and that's very much kind of one and done from there on. Before we go on to the the talking points, um, Yoda and Obi-Wan they, they suffer one L and they go into hiding. <laughs> Yoda takes one loss and he says, right, into exile I go. They got no one left though, is he? Oh, there's no one left for him to, to help him. Oh. I think he shouldn't have gave up like, in, when he was actually there. I don't know why he leaves. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the main point. But Now, I know the way Yoda speaks. And I don't know if it's because he has less dialogue in um, the kind of the original ones. It felt it felt like it was a lot, his kind of way of speaking in this film, because he has so much in this. Somewhere it's like a four-word sentence that he's just doing it back to front. Very peculiar. And I don't know if Anakin had come to him before with any kind of moral issue, because he goes to him and could essentially Yoda could have put his mind at ease saying like, no, this is just a bad dream. Everything's fine. And instead he's like, look, anyone you've got an attachment to prepare yourself to lose him. <laughs> <laughs> I think just going back to that, Anakin falls to the dark side really quickly. Again, the backstory to all of that is his fights through his time throughout the Clone Wars, where he gradually gets like, more and more battle scarred like, emotionally. And that's what, drives him to like, fall in the way that he does you see like bits of it in like the comics and stuff like that and they just don't give us any of that yeah <laughs> exactly they kind of leave it up to you to go and find it and it's like well you could have done with knowing some of this so i i still oh. think that if they hadn't done it already as a cartoon Clone yeah. Wars gets done as a live action like The Mandalorian. Well, we do have the Obi Wan thing coming. It's like they have brought Hayden Christensen back for that, so we'll see how he is, whether he's uh, picked he's up gone, some acting chops over time. Gone to acting school in like the last twenty years. 
they always said they were going to do like a sequel for Jump or do that as a TV show. And that seemed like it would suit the TV show dynamic perfectly. But there we go. So the moment that we, we build up to the entire time, and I'll skip quite a bit here, but where Vader gets the mask put on. Is that a big enough moment where it has to be in the film? If that was a Marvel film, is that in the film or is that post-credits? But he puts the mask on for the first yeah. time. Oh, oh yeah. That's the post- See, I know. I kind of know what you mean. Carry on, Jack. No, I was just going to say, seeing him become Darth Vader is one of the biggest reasons people watch that film, like you said at the start. And then to not have him as Darth Vader in it, Oh, I'm, I think if Marvel do it, and it's a very different film if they do, then I think you see the kind of uh, suit starting to be put on him. You have the whole battle in Mustafar. And then you probably get some deep breathing to end the film as the mask kind of... You see the inside look, I reckon. And then at the end of the credits... They carry on with the deep breathing. You see it come on and it kicks in with the Darth Vader music. It's Marvel 101. I think, but then I, th- <clears throat> I kind of know what you mean, but then it's obviously it's because there isn't another film, is there? Whereas if Marvel were doing it and there was a film after, then they probably would do that. They'd have made about eight films out of this, to be fair. Mace Windu would have had his own backstory coming into it as well. I suppose they didn't go with that over uh, the Obi-Wan series unless they <clears throat> did approach him and he didn't fancy it. Um, Maybe. So we've got the categories here. I just did want to have a little bit on the, the, the scene that we've all built up to. I was just about the... to say that we, we've just griped constantly about No, no, no I've, got like some, I've got some more questions. Um, <laughs> we do like it. So one of, the criti- one of the criticisms I saw, and it did read a bit like complaining about too many presents at Christmas, one said that there's too many lightsaber fights in this film. And <laughs> I, I do, rem- if, just to give it some credence, I do remember going to the cinema for the first two when I was younger. And it was a big thing that you were building up to wait for the end of the film to get the lightsaber fight. Like I remember my brother, who would have been maybe like six or so at the time, Sitting through Phantom Menace, which for a kid isn't the most entertaining film when half of it's in the Senate. Knowing that you've got the lightsaber payoff at the end. And do you think it takes away from it at all? Or is it, we're going big in this one, get all the lightsaber fights in that you can? Yeah, because I think it's their last time, the last chance to do it. Because to do it this way as well. Because you look at the lightsaber fights in the original trilogy... And they're very different. <laughs> and um, and plus as well, this is the last time in any of the films where there's actually a lot of Jedi. Well, they so, didn't think they were going to get another three films, did they? No, as exactly. Well. They thought, let's go go large on this, because the, they didn't think they were going to be able to get a chance where you can have so many different matchups, like Grievous having lightsabers, you've got Yoda, <laughs> Sidious, you've got Mace Windu, you've got... You basically got the whole Jedi cast there um, and in their mind they're thinking right this is it they're all gone after this we'll just have everyone face off against each other it does still feel big doesn't it? it it feels like I mean to go with the Marvel thing it does feel like you're getting the face off with Thanos at the end when you see Obi-Wan and Anakin come face to face 
Yeah, 100%. Interesting that Obi-Wan draws for his lightsaber first. That kind of goes against his character, I thought. But it, it, it feels big. No matter how many times you rewatch that scene, the second they've both drawn their lightsabers, it does feel like a monumental moment. Yeah, true. I guess it's, he says that then you truly are lost. And it's like, he's just new at that point. He's just sitting force choke Padme as well. He's done, he's, he he's says only the Sith deal and absolutes, which is an absolute. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what I don't get as well is that if Anakin hadn't force choked Padme, does she still just die, drop dead? <laughs> no, no will to live. That would have been a very weird way of filming it. That, that's what I mean. Because like, she was only choked for like four seconds. Yeah. Probably she still does die, I think, didn't she? She she wanted out anyway. And, and yeah, one, she did in, she did a Billy Joe on us, didn't she? <laughs> one last quote from me is um, they decide to hide the two children <laughs> and they've got the whole galaxy to choose from. And they decide to hide Anakin's son at his mum's gravesite, his old house. So, <laughs> like, or just even somewhere else on that planet. But if you ever went back to visit his mum's grave. <laughs> oh yeah, you well, Padme's apparently she she's she's dying at this point. She knows she's dying. She doesn't know she's having twins, and she does still have the presence of mind to come. Out. She's got those two names on lock. She's had those ready. <laughs> Back to that scene though. Did you know um, they practiced this for about three weeks before? There's nothing sped up in this scene. There's no stunt people in this scene. That is Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor going back and forth here, like. They nailed that between them, all the stunts. That's that's truly them doing that. Well, the flips didn't know that, no. Okay, the flips maybe, but the lightsabers <laughs> going back and forth. They're like, that, they choreographed that between them. That was brilliant. That would be the most fun part. If I was being like cast as a Jedi and I wasn't allowed to do my own Jedi fights, I'm, I'm not doing it. Yeah. You think that until your fourth week of Jumping, jumping around, swinging one of them sticks about. Because I think the the lightsaber fights in in this, well, and and probably the the earlier ones are, I still think a lot better than the most recent ones as well. I don't actually really rate the lightsaber fights and yeah, the most, the most recent we, ones. We don't really recent... like the characters as much, which helps. We don't Maybe. feel any tension in it. Yeah, the, the most recent films, absolute fucking shite. I was gutted when when Qui Gon gets chopped. That's gutted. Yeah, yeah. I think I cried actually. I don't remember him getting a mention. Like when I heard him getting a mention in this, when I watched it back yesterday, I don't remember. Do you remember that? that? No, yeah, I don't know if but... if they were planning to kind of draw back to it in another one way because he says, doesn't it? Like, well, I think it's yeah. I think they're basically foreshadowing. Basically, you've got this ability, and we found this ability to make Force Ghosts because you see Obi Wan come back as a Force Ghost, don't you? Yeah, oh, yeah. The later films. I was annoyed that we didn't get the payoff. Though I wanted Liam Neeson to be in it. So that was that was discussed. Um, that that was in talks to happen, and uh, they decided not to. He was willing to do it as well. There was a scene where uh, he filmed uh, what was going to be not a voiceover, but like a recording, like him speaking in Obi Wan's head or however they were going to play it. But yeah, Liam Neeson did record something for this, and they decided not to use it. Shame. That scene, to go straight to it, is there a better scene in the film than those two going head-to-head for 
one last time with all the catchphrases to boot. No. No. By far and away the best scene, I think. Could they have set it anywhere better either? Like the lava surrounding it does look so cool. Another query I have about Mr. Fly. I thought thought Jack was about to say should have been in the boo. (laughs) Like, what? I don't quite understand. Because in Star Wars, all the planets they go to are all the same everywhere. So you have like a lava planet, you have like a plant planet, a water planet. What creates the oxygen that they need to survive on Mustafar? Because there's no plants. It's all just lava and sulfur. So I think if if you're making a Star Wars film, that's the last thing you really <laughs> need to be thinking about. Unless he's got a plan in like, what if Jack asked me this one day? <laughs> yeah. Where would you where would you settle down if you're in the Star Wars universe, Jack? Um He's a Tatooine man. I, I can oh, I fucking hate Tatooine. <laughs> and every game that I play is the most boring. And again, this is going to sound like such a mega nerd thing to say, but there's a planet called Dantooine, which is actually mentioned in the fourth film, but it's actually where the Jedi pretty much started out and had their original um, like base like thousands of years before this is set. And I, I'm actually hearing myself say these words, <laughs> and I'm cringing at myself, but I fucking love Star Wars, mate. Would Keenan have made a good Tuscan Raider? <laughs> I can see, I can see Keenan and a Hoff. Just with the Yeti. Just waiting to get frozen out of the Star Wars universe. <laughs> I'm taking my coat off early doors. <laughs> you Sean, Sean would definitely be a droid, wouldn't he? <laughs> droid, droid. Fucking <laughs> At the end. Wouldn't be the droid I was looking for, I could tell you. The Star Wars quote for you. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> they, uh, they, they, they fill in the plot hole here that they could potentially have where they wipe C-3PO's mind at the end of it. They leave R2 to just be sound. So when he then does see Obi-Wan later on, he'd have all these memories and he'd be able to fill in C-3PO, but just decides against it. Yeah, I, I didn't it's weird that. because they had the thought obviously to tick off and say, right, we need to wipe C3PO's mind to clear this up. I, th- I think as well, like when R2 and Obi Wan Kenobi meet, there's no kind of like we've just been to the Clone Wars together, we've, we've done every mission together. Like it's just, like, oh, there's R2, I'm just gonna ignore him when it gets to the later films. All right, Sean. How rewatchable do you think this film is? Uh, yeah, it's definitely rewatchable. Um, I didn't enjoy it actually this time. It's been a while since I last watched it. I, I still like it to clarify, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I was going to. But it's still got those very clear moments. I mean, the obvious one we just touched on, which is the best scene that you'd always tune in to watch it for. So, yeah, yeah I, I, it's definitely rewatchable. Guess which Star Wars film is Jack's favourite? Are we out of any that's ever been made? Yeah. I mean, did he mention it earlier? Is it the solo one? No. Uh, uh, a New Hope. I, I hadn't, I hadn't clarified because my actual all-time favourite is Rogue One. But my, if if you think of the Luke Skywalker like trilogies, he told but, me it was Attack of the Clones the other day. 
Yeah, I meant the Skywalker, <laughs> the Skywalker trilogy is because yeah. it's Skywalker in all six. Yeah. All six. Yeah. But it is. It is Attack of the Clones. It's the only Star Wars film that doesn't really follow the same storyline as all the other Star Wars films. It's a bit different. It goes different, like. Like the House of Cards of Star and, Wars episodes. Like the, like the last battle scene where they're on Geonosis and you've got the droid army for, and the clone army for the first time just going at each other. I think it's just wicked. That and is that is a great moment, yeah, but the, the rest of the film up to that is trash. <laughs> I don't think it is because you've got Anakin having two lightsabers and I was saying this to Byron the other day that I unlocked a memory in my mind that a lot was made of Anakin having two lightsabers in this film. A lot of the promo of Attack of the Clones was that. There's like action figures of it in Toys R Us. And then he has two lightsabers in the film for all of about three seconds. And then he gets his arm chopped off. So it's kind of like, oh, it's looking forward to that. Keenan, if we can bring you back here. Um, what was the best moment or scene for you? Yes, as you said, it's the battle on the lava planet. I did worry you were going to say him killing the younglings then. No, <laughs> no, no. If we, if, if we, we'll ask you now, Keenan. So, knowing your suspective thoughts going in, we, we showed that you, if, if your, your mind is willing to be changed, as we saw with uh, Back to the Future, mm-hmm. was this better or worse than you were anticipating when you sat down to watch it? It was generally what I thought it was going to be. Did it feel like two hours, 20 minutes? Yes. Every second of it. I didn't like, I didn't like it. Uh, That's not true. I liked, I liked parts of it, but not because of the film, i.e. how they were shot, how they looked, how they were acted. I enjoyed certain parts of it because they have become a meme and I chuckled to myself. It was a meme that that was then in the film and I was watching the, looking at the source material. Um, Ultimate power. Palpatine says that unbelievable. I, I he put that in the script. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I didn't think it was particularly good. I, I wouldn't. I won't. I, I'd be surprised unless I have to. If I ever watch this again. <laughs> the just, just, just picking up what Keenan said there, where the way it's shot. I thought actually this film aged really well, considering it came out in two thousand five, and we've seen what some films look like 2005 when, like, when did the mummy come out when was that 2001 2001 yeah. so you think like was it 1999 yeah. no it was 99 right yeah it's 99 mummy returns is 2001 yeah there's there's well, there's such a better film there's a few films made around that time that you watch now and you think oh my god i can't watch this whereas this it looks like it was made almost like last year it's that good graphically Mace Windu flying out the window for me. There must have been a better way to do that. Like It's not even like it was like a snide way of doing it because he says for a while, like, we're going to need to act on this quick because it won't be long until the Jedi find out what's happened. Well, if you want it to be sly, probably don't fling him out of the window <laughs> in a massive lightning strike. Him, him going all wrinkly saying, oh, I'm so weak, I'm so weak. <laughs> Yeah, a lot, Anakin, lot of missed opportunities in this film. Yeah, I, I would say I agree with you there, Kim. I think that it could have been made better. I still love it. Oh no, I meant just in terms of killing people off. They like lesson one: 
really has to be fit, fin- when you start it, finish it. Yeah, double time. Um, but I, I do, I, <clears throat> I don't, I missed opportunities for the film in terms of what they could have done with it, mate. You could tell me, you could tell me anything. I'd have to agree with you. I, like I said, I, I was, I didn't say made, yeah. I was, the first three I was essentially made to watch because my mum adored them. Um, she loved Star Wars, Star Wars, Harry Potter. They're on, yeah, they're, they're going on the TV. Oh. So as a kid, I, I watched them. If you think Jack's bad with Star Wars, wait till you hear Harry Potter. Oh, <laughs> he's not going to shock me my my sister adores it my mum mum was all over it she wouldn't like she if it was on telly and she was flicking through no matter day or night bang it was going on as though nothing else was was on telly I've seen bits of Harry Potter and Star Wars is the same I've seen the first the original trilogy umpteen times and the Phantom Menace the same um but I don't have a lot, lot of love for it. So with the what they could have done in terms of the story, Jack, mate, you could tell me anything. You could tell me a giant chicken was supposed to be in it, and I'd sort of have to believe you. <laughs> when when Palpatine's all uh, shriveled up, it, it's it's the best ever capturing of the when you bust a nut and she keeps on sucking me <laughs> that's ever existed as he's shriveled up in the corner with that little smirk. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, Sean, we will go back to you here. Who's your MVP of this film? It's a tough one for this one. I mean, I'm part of me tempted on my uh, the way I score MVPs be to give it to Palpatine. <laughs> it, it, um, I don't see how it can be anyone else. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, it probably has got to be Palpatine. I mean, he forms the, he gets Anakin on the side, forms a stretch, he kills Windu. Yeah, so it probably does have to be Palpatine. It literally, it couldn't have gone more perfect for him. Yeah. Yeah, he's crazy. Aside from maybe getting to kill Yoda. Yoda yeah, slapping then... those two guards <laughs> when he walks in the room, by the way. That was great <laughs> at the time. I remember the cinema cracking up at that. <laughs> it's good but you know, I mean, he, may as, he may as well have killed Yoda as I said he just yeah. <laughs> disapp- disappears into exile my little green friend <laughs> what, what? Thing, one thing we did touch on though is that when uh, this is going back to the Jedi scene with Windu but that like weird noise that Palpatine makes when he does that spinning move to get up to them <laughs> like, it just comes out of nowhere he never makes that noise ever again either it's a special move, man. <laughs> do I do I need to ask um, what the best quote is for you, Jack? Um, it is for me. Hello there. <sighs> is it not? I have the higher hello? ground. That's hello the there. How is it? I, I just what the hell? I don't even I, know what I, that's I, from. I laugh. That I laugh every time that I hear it, and when I see it on a meme, I laugh even more. And uh, if you can ask my favourite quote from the second one is Anakin saying, I don't like sand. So, it's, yeah. Things for different reasons, but not that it's particularly good line. It's just, you just get General Grievous this final face-off and you just get Hugh McGregor's eyes going, hello there. This cracks me up. Uh, wow. I was going to say, is that... sorry, Kyle. Go on, sure. I was going to say, as like a possible other option, it, it, it isn't. My one is, is the higher ground. Um, but where 
where Anakin meets Grievous for the first time and he's like, General Grievous, you're shorter than I imagined. Did have a little chuckle then. And then also chosen one. It was said you would destroy the Sith, not join them. Bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. And Anakin gives it, I hate you. (laughs) What I don't get is as well that the Jedi know that the prophecy is they'll bring balance to the force. And they know that there's like two Sith and there's like thousands of Jedi. How have they misinterpreted that so badly that he has actually brought balance to the force where there's like two Jedi and two Sith left? Oh, yeah. I, I remember the, 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 the PS2 game. On that last uh, level, every time you'd die, it would come back and you'd hear Anakin going, you underestimate my power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that exactly totally Don't try it. Totally <laughs> After Skywalker, there are too many of them. What are we going to do? <laughs> And Padme, it shows how bad the dark side is because he says, he said, you turned to the dark side and that you killed younglings. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great line. The way that that line is delivered, the youngling one, where (laughs) Master Skywalker, what are we going to do? Well, I was reading a a review of it earlier and someone describes it as... uh, that shit no-name actor that plays the youngling. It's like a <laughs> six-year-old kid. Padme, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I thought Padme does have one good quote where she's like, so this is how liberty dies, by thunderous applause. Yeah, this is yeah. another gripe that I had, is that who ever has voted to have an emperor? Like, in the history of the universe, everyone's trying to get away from that. Well, to be fair, he just says it, and they, they all just go along with it. Yeah, I know. Like, they don't think, oh, aren't we giving a bit too much about it? They've just basically signed their entire planet over to an emperor. They're going to get back from their meeting and be like, right, things are going to change around here. Got an emperor now. We're all fucked. I think <laughs> all those uh, scenes in the Senate might be worth it just for seeing Yoda and Palpatine scrap there. Like, when yeah. they created, like, the format there, they must have had in mind, like, this would look very cool to fight you. Yeah. If you well, watch the first one back, and it's an Easter egg a lot of people have seen, uh, E.T. is a member of uh, the uh, Senate there. Yeah, I noticed. I was just about to say that. But there we go. Um, do you have a best side character, Keenan? Mace Window. Or it might be. Any, I, I've I'll got RCD. I dread to think if you, whose Jacks might be. <laughs> um, I hadn't really thought of it until now. I, mean, I suppose I should have because it's one of the, one of the criteria. So I right, we'll save it for when we get back to the end. What are yeah. those um, senators' names? The one that look the ones that look like a frog. You know what I mean? The green ones who have the like deep voice. Because I remember you could kill them on the PlayStation game. Or what I think might have been like the first level. You could just slash him with your lightsaber. What the um the separatists or the ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the ones yeah. where they're essentially trapped in the room at the end, and he's just yeah, going to the, town on him. The viceroys, yeah. You yes, can... that's it, viceroy. That's yeah. the word I was looking for. Yeah, they were literally. 
they locked the room, didn't they? And then he couldn't yeah. fight back. And it was part <laughs> of the mission where he just went and hacked them all the bits. All right. Um, we'll save the other talking points if we go on to our other film today. And that is Everest. I hope that wasn't too long of an hour for you to sit through, Keenan. What, listening to you talk about Star Wars? Yeah. Uh, we've had better hours on the pod. Well, we're on to Everest now. So the synopsis, the story of New Zealand's Robert Rob Edwin Hall, who on May 10th, 1996, together with Scott Fisher, teamed up on a joint expedition to ascend Mount Everest. Uh, critics reviews here. Sean, what do you think? Good or bad? Good. Good reviews. I'll take you through. Everest is a slow burn of a movie, but it's one that proves to be worth it. Best seen in IMAX 3D, the movie takes full advantage of the format, showcasing the wondrous rock and ice-covered landscape and extreme elements. Everest is one of those cinematic spectacles that doesn't insult the intelligence of its audience and tries to tell the truth about an extraordinary adventure as solidly and dramatically as it can. Spectacle filmmaking with a purpose, Everest is a welcome throwback to the testosterone-heavy adventure flicks of past decades. And finally, great film with few flaws, though I didn't realise that one of the few people to die on the mountain was even in the film until the last scene of the movie. Perhaps a bit more time on some of the supporting cast would have helped. The main thing worth talking about on the car ride home is how they assembled such an impressive cast when most of them had nothing to do but be cold. <laughs> I've got some trivia, there's not too much. So, And a lot of it is just kind of how it compares to uh, the real-life expedition. So when Rob Hall, played by Jason Clark's team, is asked why they're climbing Mount Everest, everyone answers because it's there. This is a motto of mountain climbers worldwide. And in a 1924 interview with George Mallory, he answered that when he was asked why climb, climb Mount Everest. He answered, because it's there. It's all on the table here. It hurts. It's dangerous. It destroys relationships. It's costing you all a small fortune. Are there any negative aspects yeah, to this? I got to ask the question. You know I do. Why? Why? Because it's there! That's why. Thank you, Mr. Mallory. Come on, guys, I'm, I'm serious. <coughs> Yasuko, hmm? why are you climbing Everest? Um, he actually disappeared. I don't know why I laughed there. He disappeared during a summit attempt <laughs> in 1924, and his body was found in 1999, just under 700 metres from the top. In 1999, it was found. Yeah, he was found uh, 75 years later. In real life, Beck Weathers' nose was so badly injured by frostbite that it had to be surgically reconstructed. Uh, John Krakauer, the Interthin Air author, came out against the film. So he's the guy that's played by Michael Kelly or uh, Doug Snake. Snapper, as we referred to him. Uh, so I actually finished his book today. <laughs> That's how far my pod prep goes, that I uh, listened, listened to uh, the 12-hour book um, in, in prep for this. And yet, he doesn't dispute a lot of it. The, the thing that he disputes is, uh, he says, the scene in which his character refuses to help Anatoly Bukri's team with the search and rescue, 
he says, uh, I never had that conversation. Anatoly came to several tents and not even Sherpas could go out. No one came to my tent and asked for help. Um, so he the director say- says, yeah, but it was in, intended to illustrate how helpless people were and it wasn't an attack on John. Now, in his, in his book, he doesn't actually say too much different to this. So he wasn't asked to go up the mountain, but what he was asked to do, uh, in his own words, is they had a number of big torches and they had a number of things where they essentially, they still thought that Scott was out there. They still thought that, uh, I've got a name, uh, Yuko uh, was out there. And they still thought a number of them were out there and the path had been blown over. So they didn't think they could get down safely. And they had this massive glacier underneath where they could potentially fall like 200 feet to their death without knowing where the path was. And so he was asked if he could come outside of his tent and stand there with something that would reflect upwards or shine a light so they would know where they're going. And uh, he told them that he didn't have enough strength to come outside of his tent. And so he needed to stay put. So he's he's protesting something there that that isn't that much different to what they've said. In the film, the bit where he fucks Josh Brolin off as well. So that's horrendous. Beck, what's wrong? I don't know. Had an operation a couple years ago on my eyes. That might be it. I don't know. Okay. Guys, go in front of us. I think let's sit you down. Beck, look at me. I need to send you down with someone. Oh, I don't want to go down, Rob. No, you got to go down. I don't want to go down. He he does actually speak in his book. Um, he does say that he regrets this. Um, of course he fucking the, does. So yeah, I ended up losing, so wait, I ended up losing me, his hands and his nose. Well, let, let me tell you how he says it. So what he says is he he comes down from the summit. He, he's on cloud nine. Um, that he's made it to the top of Everest. He does he he doesn't claim that he doesn't see Beck or anything. He says that he saw him and he tells him that Scott's going to be coming down shortly. And he says, now when Beck doesn't ask him for help and essentially says, all right, okay, I'll wait for Scott. He says that he felt a great sense of relief that uh, he didn't need to be accounting with somebody else and he could just focus on getting himself down safely. Granted, uh, I have actually technically climbed a mountain, but it wasn't Everest. It was it was also in Thailand, so the freezing conditions weren't an Ooh, issue. Good on the pod. Yes. Oh, yeah, shit, I forgot to tell you that story. <laughs> but I, I almost died, but for the complete opposite reason. Um, but, like, surely when he says, look, I can't see. You, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to back him up here because... Of course you are. Oh, it says a lot. <laughs> I'm just going to play devil's advocate in that... <laughs> There isn't he, one part he, of me that would believe that you would help. He he <laughs> doesn't know that Scott isn't coming down at this point. True. And, and I will say, and I don't know if I have this as part of the trivia, they reference it in the film. They've, they've each paid £65,000 to go on this trip. And essentially, a lot of other people were much cheaper. They were probably about a third of the price to go to. But the reason you paid Rob Hall was that he was a handholder, which they have the, the scene in this where... Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character says, look, you're the best handholder there is. And you basically pay him because 
If it's not safe, he's going to tell you it's not safe. They say they turned Doug around the year before. And so from his perspective, he's got up, he, he, he's getting down safely, and Scott's going to be, Rob's going to be right behind to take Beck down. Oh, I still think it's a dick move. I don't know what he's going to do in that in that situation because it may he, he genuinely with every chance he might think oh he's behind him doesn't know it for certain he leaves a fella who's saying I can't see on the side of a fucking <laughs> yeah, mountain he's on the side of the mountain <laughs> all right all right yeah no he'll be he'll be along in ten tada bye and he's out like well, what about told him as well like don't move from this spot because. Whether you can get up break, or not, I break, defend your boy all you like. What I'm saying is, there's a lot. Like, he's, he's not my boy. He doesn't come across <laughs> well in the book, but I guess the reason the book did so well and it's considered to be one of the best books about climbing Everest is that he is honest in it. He says, mm-hmm. "Like, I know how dangerous it is. It, getting up there is one thing. You also want to be getting back down safely. Like, there's a number of people who get there, and that's that's not the end of the job." I would like to claim 100 percent that I would do different to what John did. However, but it's not his mate. Like it's, it's. Does that does that really? Like, I think it makes a difference. Day, I think it makes a difference. Yeah, at the end of the day, they were part of the same climbing party. Don't have to be pals. They're part of the same party. They've been with each other for a month or so. So it's early April when they get to the first camp and they have their meeting. Ten, ten weeks they've been together. T- ten weeks, sorry. Fairly long time. Seventy yeah, days. Yeah. Um, I would suggest in a close close quarters, you could get to know someone quite well. In that yeah, you know, e- even just by yeah, I'm, I'm e- not even saying... just short conversations, you get to know a little bit about some of their mannerisms, their behaviours, so on. He cannot see. That's the bit I can't get past. For if sure, was like I'm jo- not saying he couldn't help him. I'm, I'm just saying, in the book, he, of course, he's going to give an excuse. He does say, "Look, when I look back now, I, sh- I should have put myself in a worse situation to make sure he gets down. The likelihood is." We both would have got down safely. And he says that in the book. This is but a long he's... mind. It is, he gets back safe. But is, I don't, I don't, you've read the book, so please tell me if, if I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm basing this solely off the film. It's represented as though he gets back down early doors fairly easily. So they, they come across uh, some of the other people that we'll get to that, that do also die. Mm. Uh, he actually plays a part in one of the other characters dying, which is what he says he can't forgive himself for, um, where he gets confused because he also, yeah. his, his sight goes as he gets further down the hill where mm-hmm. the, the storm is. Yeah, he gets and, snow, um, snow blindness, doesn't he? Yeah, and he directs someone the wrong way because he thinks he's talking to someone else. But I don't think that, were, that was a character in the film. Mm. Um, so Christian Bale was actually attached to play the character of Rob Hall initially. Um, but left to appear in Exodus, Gods and Kings instead. Um, and after they lost Christian Bale, the director, uh, Balthasar Kormaker, uh, decided to transform it into an ensemble version. So we probably don't get the cast we have now, which I, I think works better. Yeah, I don't think Christian Bale fits the role. From, from what we see of Rob Hall in this, and from what I know about him from the book, like, he, he was just supposed to be just like a really nice guy. And if anything was his weakness, then it was kind of the way he got on with people. And I, I'm sure Christian Bale's a lovely guy. He doesn't have the face 
that Jason Jason Clark has a much more like friendlier face. You can empathise with him much more than Christian Bale does, particularly after you've seen him as Batman. Yeah, I, I think it's good. I think it's great casting. I think he's great in this. Um, but then you you say that, but he is also he's quite um, like villainous in uh, in Lawless, isn't he? Yeah, that's there. Friendly approach. That's not quite as much of a standout role as. No, not, no, I don't look at Jason Clark and think like I only associate him with Lawless. Yeah. Christian Bale is is two probably most prominent roles are Jason Bateman. Is it Jason Bateman? Is that the character's name? Patrick American Bateman. Psycho. Patrick, Patrick Bateman. Bateman. <laughs> Jason Bateman as American Psycho would be great. Um, Patrick Jason Bateman. Bateman, friend of the pod. Yeah, Patrick Bateman and uh, Batman. So it's it's not quite the. The role that you, you, you'd imagine him in. Yeah. Um, a lot of the radio calls that you do hear in this are lifted verbatim from uh, real calls that were sent down the mountain on that final day. Um, and much like you see in the film, they all were listening over the radio to hear Rob Hall speaking to his wife over the radio. And they say it was much more long winded than what you see in the film. Like they were constantly phoning up saying, like, you need to get moving. And he was basically saying, oh, I will do soon. And then phone up saying, you need to get moving. And he said that his hands were so frostbitten that he didn't believe he would be able to navigate the ropes on the Hillary step. And so he'd rather stay where he was than risk meeting his end that way. Pretty evolved position to be in from uh, that kind of mind state. Um. After being cast, Jason Clark and Martin Henderson climbed Ben Nevis in Scotland and the Tasman Glacier in New Zealand together in prep for this film. Now, if you think that sounds cool, those two going off, Josh Brolin and Jake Gyllenhaal decided to try and scale some mountains together in prep for this film. What a duo that is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great duo. And Gyllenhaal, friend of the pod. Yeah. And friend of the cine team. Uh, what bodies? You know what? Sorry, mountains? Oh, you know what mountains? Um, I have. I think I have that further down. Um, the bodies of Andy Harris and Doug Hansen have never been recovered. Um, another expedition found Rob Hall's body almost two weeks after his death. Uh, his widow requested it remain where it was, as his last wish was likely to stay on the mountain. Um, as depicted in the film, uh, Anatoly found Scott Fisher's body and moved it away from the climbing trail. Um, so it remains on the mountain. Uh, Anatoly also found Yasuko's body almost a year later, um, and he built a primitive tomb from stones to protect it from scavengers. Um, when her widower found out, he actually financed an expedition to recover her body a year later. So she has been brought down from the mountain. And then the last bit of trivia... Um, the rescue of Beck Weathers was the highest flight ever achieved by a helicopter pilot. No one believed it could be done. And what the film doesn't show is that uh, Beck, who was seriously ill, actually gave up his place to another climber who was in even worse condition than he was. Um, he had no idea if the helicopter would be able to return for him and he knew he'd die if it didn't come back. And when he was asked, he said it just seemed like the right thing to do. What, what a guy. He's, he's painted as a bit of an arsehole in the film as well. I think that's just Josh Brolin, to be fair. Yeah, like, I know. No matter how he plays a character, it does seem like that. 
I was going to say as well, is there, because <clears throat> I haven't looked into it, is there, is there any truth into the, that theory about how the way, um, is it, and the way Andy dies, where he feels like he's boiling up, so he takes off all his coat and then falls off. So they they Hypoxia. don't include, yeah, they don't include that. No. But what they do say in the book is, essentially, you, you have these uh, Sherpas they refer to in there that know the mountain better than anyone else. They basically just make their money for the year, staying around there down the expedition times, and they get bought by different teams to assist them. Uh, now, the guy that was uh, Sam Worthington's character, I believe, offered them more money than they'd be making for several years to go up there, bring some oxygen, um, after they thought he needed it at the time, bring some tea, and just to try and help Rob get down. And they essentially said that it was too dangerous and, and they wouldn't go up there. And so much like you see uh, in the film, Andy did actually trek back up there to Rob himself um, and ultimately met his end doing that. But he is as heroic as, as he comes across in the film. And he, he was perfectly safe, went back up there to try and save his friend and uh, they both suffered as a consequence. And, and do they know that Andy got to him as well? Uh, yeah, so they, they radioed to say um, that he'd got... Something he, okay, he got there, but the I'm trying to remember. Wasn't it? I think he got there to pass some oxygen or something. I don't think they were sat kind of next to each other, kind of thing. But he got up to the point of where he should be, and then uh, it's kind of unclear because there was no one else up there. So they just have kind of the walkie-talkie and they put things together from what they have yeah. on the radio. So Rob saying that uh, Rob did radio and say. Andy was there, but he also radioed after to say uh, like what happened to Andy. So I'm not sure if he kind of passed something, if he left something there and was saying, you need to get down to this or what. But yeah, they both died as a consequence. Um, the points I had down for this film, and I thought it compared quite interestingly with the two films we have. And we said with Revenge of the Sith that we obviously go in knowing that he becomes Darth Vader at the end. We know that there's a demise coming. And we go into this film like we're under no illusions. We know it's not just a nice film about Everest. We know there's some kind of disaster there for anyone that kind of looked into it before watching the film, like whether you're going to see it at the cinema or whatever. And I wonder if you think that takes pressure off of the, the viewing experience because it's two hours long. And I think I spoke to Keenan before. And I said it, it reminded me a bit of Man on Fire because the first hour is certainly slow. But without the first hour kind of giving you a taste of each character as it does, you probably don't feel the same about the characters for the second hour when things start going wrong for them. Mm. Yeah. And so be. because you know you're getting to that, like paranormal activity, like you're just waiting, like this is going to go wrong at some point. And so you weren't too upset for each thing where nothing happened because you, you knew what you were getting eventually. I don't know. I, I still felt stressed. I was like, fucking get down the mountain. Like, just don't take him back up there. Basically, no, I know. Mailman's killed three people by him. Yeah, but what, what I mean is you, you're not um, complaining that like not enough's happening at the start of the film so oh, much no, because yeah. you know what you're getting. No, agreed. I think 
they need to do that character development because you don't like you said, you just don't have that emotional connection with them when they all start to fucking die. <laughs> so, yeah, because without if... without that, it, it becomes like a Final Destination, doesn't it? It's just yeah. like a disaster movie <laughs> where, yeah. Yeah. where you're like cheering if... on the deaths almost. I don't know if we're kind of ruining things here, but uh, it kind of give it, give it a, I think Sean does it the same way sometimes, to be fair. So Keenan ended up watching Revenge of the Sith on Sunday, and then Monday, I believe you'd watched part of Everest before you went to football Keenan you watching the end after because I spoke Keenan yeah. kind of said like I, I don't know if this is going to pick up or what and then I said yeah I think you're right around the time when things should be starting to kind of go wrong I think you were at the point where Beck was starting to have issues with his eyes that's right yeah he and just had the, the next thing I had from you was like fuck me this is horrible this film for the record this film is fucking horrible like I said to Byron last night, I don't really have a good thing to say about it. The last 40 <laughs> minutes is some of the bleakest shit I have ever watched. <laughs> yeah, like, it is. It, it's yeah. really odd because like, you watch a film, oh, I don't know, any film, like you watch a war film and like you, the, your, your protagonists are getting gunned down. You, you sort of, okay, that's that's what happens. And yeah. you saw it, it is what it is, but you don't. This is like, other than the one guy slipping down the mountain, so many of these characters don't they die like probably the worst one of the worst deaths you can imagine yeah but they slip slowly into it and just accept their fate yeah right? it's fucking mate it's fucking horrific like i said like i said in that chat like sent you a text all last night like, I, it's rare i feel a, a, any any anything watching a film but mate, it's just pulling on the arse. It's the last forty minutes where people are just yeah. like when Rob's having that conversation with his missus, and you know he's about to go, and he's literally led on the side of a mountain. I'm so sorry. <sighs> Don't say that. If anyone can make it, you can. Remember. Please don't worry too much. Good night, my love. Nothing can be done. So, this film, this film's horrible, man. And it's, and it's true as well, obviously. So that, that all yeah, will, yeah. That all I mean, the interesting thing. I was sorry, man. I was going to say the yeah, interesting sorry. thing you talk about um, Josh Brolin's character, Pat Weathers. Obviously, I googled it last night because when it said, "Oh, he's lost his nose to, yeah. and his hands to frostbite," I thought, "Christ, mate!" Like, I googled it, and like his face, you can tell he's had something done to his nose. Yeah, but it's not the worst. It's not as bad as you could think it would be. Wouldn't no, it? Yeah. he's still um, he's still a practicing doctor. He works in a pathology lab in like a hospital in Texas. Just a lucky um, guy in there. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but he, <laughs> well, I mean, the, the well, surviving I mean, what he does, that's yeah, comparatively. Yeah, um, I watched this in um, IMAX 3D, and the first thing that resonated me with the film is it is one of the most like beautiful films I've ever seen. Like, I had the, my desktop wallpaper was just a shot of Everest for so long after because it just looks so nice, all of it for such a, what we see as being a vile place for the people that go up there. But the, the experience in the cinema as a standout for when Kira Knightley is having the phone call with uh, 
Rob was so strange because it, it, it was like a level of quiet below silence. Like if if you've got people that aren't assholes in the cinema, then people aren't really talking through it anyway. But it, it was so odd. It was like almost everyone had taken like a deep breath at the same time as it's happening because the atmosphere for it was just everyone was so in. And I don't know if part of that was because of the IMAX, like it kind of drew you in a bit more. But the way they do it and the way they do get you attached to every character is really good because you've got to think from Kira Knightley's perspective, going into this, no matter how good she acts, it only works if we have a feeling for Rob Hall as a character. And for a film where he's not saved someone like in a, like a Hollywood film, kind of like someone's not fallen off a ledge and he's grabbed them at the last minute and he's hoisted them up. He's not given someone like paid the end of someone's check like you see in a film where they'd show like, look, this is a nice guy you've got in this film. He does come across really well for just being just a normal, decent human being. And then obviously seeing him sink in and just kind of give up gradually. It's kind of the opposite as to what we saw in Star Wars, where they're completely different films, but in less time, they do show you kind of the transition to giving up different to what we've seen in other films. Agreed. Agreed. And I, I, like you said, I don't see Christian Bell as Rob Hall in this. No. Like, they, they definitely made the right casting choice. Second see... Time when he's trying to drag himself, when he does say like he's going to make an effort to get down and he's got his kind of pickaxe or whatever it's called and he's trying to drag himself because we've not been in that situation. The only kind of comparison I could think of it is like, and you hope you've not been in that situation too many times, but not the times when you're just like very drunk, but the times where you're like on another level, like you're in a bad way and you can tell that if you stand up, you're not going to be able to stand up properly. You can barely walk. And his situation there, when he's just kind of clawing himself along, the helplessness that they're able to portray is very good, considering they shot this, those scenes, in a little enclosed TV studio. They, they flew in snow to make it look as realistic as they could. They spent like a budget's worth on just fridges so the actors did truly feel cold while filming these scenes. And then they had a closed set. So they basically just had the director there with, I guess, Jason Clark in this instance and the others for there. And just let these great actors do their thing and show these scenes. I think that's I mean, still... it is, uh... No, go sure. I was just going to say, well, it, it, it is such a great cast, isn't it? So, I kind of let, let them cook. Do you think with that, so what, we had that one critic's review where they compared it and said, look, the size of the cast, it's a wonder that they got so many of these in to basically be cold. Now, the whole film is about not glamorising climbing Everest, about how this is what nature can do and that kind of thing. And I didn't know if it was a conscious thing or if it's just if you can get these actors, you can. Because to have a cast of this way, and not to underutilise some of them, but you've, you've got a guy like, say, 
Sam Worthington there that you're, you're not doing a whole lot with and for half of these that you're doing that for. It's kind of showing how big and powerful the mountain is that even still you've got this cast and the mountain is still the overriding force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with that. So Jake Gyllenhaal's character plays uh, plays Scott. He's described in the book as being a guy that smokes weed, he's relaxed. And so the character that they've got with Jake Gyllenhaal tying his hair up is essentially their way of showing that he smokes weed without showing <laughs> that he smokes weed. That's literally what they've done. <laughs> Just him saying, like, chill out, man, is like the film way of saying, like, he smokes weed if you didn't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so true. I watched the, because uh, there's a YouTube video as well as now, I don't imagine. I don't know if you've seen it. There's like a YouTube video of the real Scott Fisher on that expedition. No, it's like I've not Yeah, it's like a couple of days before. Um, it obviously, it all happened. Sean put in, in that research. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I fell into a deep dive uh, after I watched it. But yeah, I watched it and he is not obviously going to was acting to so plays up to it. But you can still see he's definitely like that type of character. Yeah, they he was described as like all these words you'd expect, like maverick, and they say he was, he was a more fun guy to be around than, than Rob Hall was, but you felt safer in Rob Hall's hands. And mm-hmm. the scene in which they have the kind of meeting in the tent with the South Africans, where the South Africans are like, you're not telling us when we can climb Everest, we'll climb Everest whenever we want to climb it. Do you think you own the mountain? So this was a real-life discussion to take place, and they say this was the only time you'd ever seen Rob Hall angry because he, he, he couldn't get his head around why they were being so selfish when it benefited everyone to just have some kind of schedule. Like, he said they were just so kind of perturbed from the start, like, they were being told, like, he was the king of Everest, and they were saying, from if, if you knew Rob Hall, he wasn't like that at all. He was just trying to make it safer for everyone, and obviously it didn't quite happen like that. Scott Fisher, for his end, when you look at, say, what happened to Beck and you look at um, that Yasuko and some of the others, he knew he wasn't ill and they don't show too much of this uh, in the film, but he he knew he wasn't well and he shouldn't be climbing, he shouldn't be leading a team. But he carried on anyway and he, he dies and half of his team do as well, so I guess he's as much to blame. I wrote down a question and I'll go to you first Keenan because I know you have strong feelings on the guy we had a whole action bracket we did last time where does Doug rank among the worst movie villains of the last bracket his <laughs> insistence on getting to the top prevents Rob from getting down before the storm and also leaves Beck and Yasuko about the help required to get back safely um, Scott in that time comes down with um, high altitude pulmonary edema where his lungs basically fill with fluid due to the altitude. Yeah. This also then causes Andy to have to go back up with the oxygen who then hallucinates, moves his clothes in the films and dies. We don't know how true that part of it is. But Doug has a lot to answer for. As I texted you last night, Doug is a fool. I don't well, know he if was suffering with altitude sickness before he gets to the top of the mountain and they show that in the film. I don't know if it's necessary villainous actions, though. I think it's no, no, it was fucking stupidity. <laughs> on the other hand, I will flip it round. Where does your guy Andy rate on our list of greatest heroes? He He's right up there. And... He is genuinely... What a fucking... Like you said, if that's how it happened in real life. For all you're talking you talk about... You, 
I mean, well, so, I was no, carry on. And then no, I'll, no, crack on, cool. Okay, obviously, Andy and Doug have that relationship ready to so their mates already. I think that goes without saying. Do you think? Do you think if you're not like, he's not your best mate for years? Do you think you still go back up there? What me personally? Yeah. No, I, I don't climb a mountain to begin with. My Duke oh, of Edinburgh bronze. Well, no, we'll, we'll say you. We'll say it. Oh, somehow magically, I'm, you're, I'm at Everest. You're on this mount. You're on this Everest. Yeah. I can tell you now. If I'm Andy, I don't know who you've got to put on that mountain for me to be like, yeah, I'm going back up. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I know that sounds is, selfish, and it is, but I don't know yeah, if, um, you, if you tell me, I don't know you've got to say it's there for me to be like, yeah, okay. I think, I, I think I'm with you on that point, but then like flipping that, if we're, let's say all of us are on the mountain and then one of us is in like Beck situation, then I'm not walking past. And you end up staying there. And then same, I guess, if you end no. up with Doug, then you, no. you stay there, don't you? I'm helping, you I'm helping someone back. down from a relatively safe point. Yeah, the best one's a lot different to the, the, be- to the saving Rob. Like, yeah. Yeah, saving, yeah. saving Rob is actually basically the same. Well, suicide mission. Yeah, he's saying, well, mission, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to die. But this lad's my, he's my best mate. I, I've got to try. That's ridiculously admirable and is actually genuinely for, for real life events is actually genuinely heroic they're not helping someone down trying to save save yourself yeah. when you're in a position that you can yeah, I, I can't get past that as yeah. again I feel like I feel like I've become his uh, defender and I didn't even particularly like him when I was listening to the book I think if, if the Rob one's pretty cut and dry the Rob one is like he is going to die if I don't save him the Beck one is a bit different in that they aren't seeing the gravity of the situation at that point. He is blind. He's, that's, I mean, that's, he's... The, that's the bit I can't get past, mate. If he was like... Just thinking about Anchorman Ill, too, the way you said that. <laughs> if he's a little bit ill, okay, fair enough. And you think the geezer can't see and he's, he's halfway up Everest. Yeah, I'll take your point. Again, I'm not. I'm not in that position. It might find out that in that position, I'm an absolute shit house as well. And I say, see ya. <laughs> so I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to slate him too harshly, but yeah, it's not a good look. That's all I'll say. So Everest had the biggest ever uh, worldwide IMAX opening with 7.2 million at the time. Do you know what the record was previously held by? Avatar. I don't, I don't know. No. It was uh it was Avatar must have been a different kind of release because uh seven point two million Avatar was much different. Um all right, biggest September worldwide release, not quite the same um, when you get the full stat. But it, it broke the record set by Resident Evil Retribution. I don't know who was going out of their way to see that in IMAX. I think I did see the film, but I wouldn't have paid the extra three quid for IMAX. Um, if I before we go on to the categories actually and it kind of does tie in with rewatchability having seen it in full now Keenan would you change the runtime? Um, I don't know there are little scenes that I don't know if are necessarily needed a couple of minutes here a couple of minutes there yeah because for the characters that lose their life the ones that you eventually come to care about the you achieve that quite quickly. Like you're pretty. If you watch this film, you're pretty all in on Rob all after about twenty five minutes. Yeah. 
Um, you meet Jill and all. Do you think it was a kind of we got this cast wig? Yeah, yeah I think there was there was there was definitely there there are some elements of that, and I, I don't blame them because if regardless of the subject matter, I think if you put this cast out, it's gonna be a lot of buzz and a lot of hype about the film, regardless of what it's about. Well, they've so, got all in on it. Even not? like this, the 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 like lower the lesser roles that you can have in like Kira Knightley's shoes and um, I, f- I forget her name is it Gloria Wright um, who plays uh, Bex. Um, wife from House of Cards as well um, but they're, they're big names to have in those roles as well like they, they haven't skimped out at all yeah yeah Robin Wright there we go um, yeah they haven't skimped out at all with them and they, they've really gone in because for her role it's not like I know she doesn't have an overly emotional scene she's got one where she basically kicks off quite rightly and gets the embassy involved and says, you need to get my husband down now. But she's essentially just shown to be fed up because he's out trekking the mountains while she's left with the kids. And they still spared no expense there. They could have put anyone in that role. And it feels harsh to say that I don't think it changes the film, but I don't think it changes the film. What do you think, Sean, rewatchability-wise? Yeah, good, good. Um, oh, so I said, I don't find that first hour too much of a struggle. I know it's obviously slower, and it, yeah. obviously the last part is, is the bigger hour, but but yeah, I would I'd definitely watch it again. I agree. It's one of my, my favourite films, mainly just because of yeah how nice it is to look at. But yeah, I don't think the first hour is too bad. It's just, it certainly is. Like Keenan kind of couldn't have split it any cleaner to show this is your slower part this is your faster part like it was literally all split almost perfectly um what do you think about the rewatchability jack i don't know if i can put myself through it again because like <laughs> it's such a good film and it's shot so well and everything about it is brilliant it's just so goddamn sad that that's the only reason why I wouldn't make it rewatchable because it, if it had a happy ending, then I'd rewatch it loads. It's just, it's too much for me to regularly yeah. put myself through it. I, I think they tried to give it a happier ending by the fact that they go through Beck's kind of storyline after what's happened to Rob. So you're kind of, I think, supposed to have some kind of payoff there. But no, I understand what you mean. It's still not a happy ending. It's a, I did, I, I, I lost two, two hands and my nose, but I didn't yeah. die. Yeah. Um, Sean, do you have a best moment slash scene in this? Because I think when I spoke to Keenan yesterday, he did say, I don't see how you can pick a favourite scene in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did. I have actually got uh, typed out the scene where Doug dies. I have actually got that in here, but um, you again, you, you can't read. The only other thing I've got in here is where the scene where Beck gets back to camp, so where Beck like okay, resurrects yeah. himself and and walks back in. Um, so yeah, that's the only other one I've got. But yeah, like Keenan said, it is pretty tough to really have a, a favourite scene. I, think I won't be best... watching this again for the record. <laughs> I think the best no, I agree scene is, Jack. Yeah, is the conversation with um, Rob and and his wife. Um, yeah, fucking heartbreaking. 
Yeah, but I mean, just in terms of the best scene, I think that is yeah, the best scene in there. And even more when I saw that that was verbatim, like that is the conversation that they had because it was over the radio for everyone to hear. Yeah. I sort of wish you wouldn't have mentioned that because that makes that so much worse. Yeah, he uh, keeps telling her, calm yourself down, don't don't worry about me. Yeah, I I did write that down. Um, yeah, the no oxygen speech and... We'll see if one I got, excuse me, two seconds. I did have another one that I wrote down. Um, no, no, so the no oxygen where they find out and they like they realise the peril they're in. I did, I did, I, I did yeah. strangely find this only goes on for about two minutes and you know it's sort of coming, but it's quite it was compelling in itself when he when people start to realise that oh shit, it has all gone wrong, and then probably yeah, the I can't say best, but the most memorable scene will be probably that conversation between. Kieran Oatley in there. It is Sorry, quite satisfying that when they get to the summit. Uh, for a brief moment. Yeah. It's soon wiped out. <laughs> Doug having the audacity life. to plant his flag as well. I know. <laughs> yeah. Clown. Honestly, that, uh, fool. That's kind of like, well, quite literally top of the mountain moment, isn't it? Like, they have to get to that point to make the downfall seem that much heavier. Yeah. Um, it's uh, tough to say about a side character in this because there isn't really even a main character. I mean, M- MVP, I guess. Do you have to say, do you have to say Beck? Or, I mean, is Sean making a uh, step to the side for Andy for this? Does he deserve MVP status? Uh, I mean, it's between those two, I think. Rob Hall deserves mentions. Uh, Rob Hall gets dug. He does get dug to the summit. He does. He achieves it. He's the only reason he dies. Yeah. He actually has it worked out. He's like, look, we're going now. On the radio, he says, yeah, look, we've got a couple of minutes and then we're gone. I, I knew that's what I meant to say. So he, he says in this book, from, from what they gather, and he does specify, like, look, we only know from what we can tell from the radio. So they make out that it's a fairly quick thing, like, we should go down, okay, we'll go up. Two hours it took him to get Doug to the top from that point. Yeah. Wow. That makes it so much worse. Doug, Doug, Doug. It's over, mate. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Doug, you're too late, okay? You guys keep going, mate. I'll catch up. Doug, 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 listen to me. It's way too late. Oh, come over. on. Listen to me, mate. I'm sorry. But I gotta turn you around. Okay? I can do it. It's right here, man. It's right here. I'm not coming back next year, man. It's my last chance. You can't let me do this. Let me do this. Okay. Please, Rob. Yeah. And also, from, on, from, that... from what he says on on Rob's part is essentially the way they gather is Doug was wasn't going to come down at that point, and so Rob felt like I've been paid the money; it's my duty to stay with him. Basically, he, he can't convince he convinced him to turn around the year before when he said it wasn't safe, and so. A year later, after 
Rob, by the way, felt so bad that he didn't let him get to the top the year before that he phoned him up and begged him to come back a year after so he could help him achieve his dream. Does that mean where does a mailman get 130 grand from? Well, the, the way they say it and they cause they cause some bitterness is that uh, they think for some people Rob did kind of give him a bit of a cheapener for the ones that he felt bad for. So the the, the journalist because he wanted the ad space and he does infer that he may have given Doug a bit of a favour, like because he got yeah. him to ra- he got him to raise the money, didn't he, through the school? And so he says like. I think there's a scene where Doug kind of pats him and says, "Thanks, you, you, thanks for the help." By the way. Okay. Isn't it sixty-five G's of, a goal? Yeah. Does, does part of you not also look at Robbie? I don't know if it took two hours. Although you, I That's, suppose you could say he decided he's not going to come down either way. So. Yeah. So he kind of felt yeah. like, but yeah, also they they say um, it, it couldn't be more out of character for him to not adhere to his time schedules and do it if he thinks there's going to be any danger. Like, they say it couldn't be more out of character for him, so... Which makes it even think. worse. Yeah. Because it means, it means he knew exactly what he was fucking talking about. Yeah. Um, well, that's why they paid him the big money, because he, he was the safest guy to go with. Well, yeah, um, well, and fucking, if that's the case, mate, yeah, he, was, he probably would have been bang on again. It just it happens to be these... Uh, it sounds as so he was a good, good bloke. Yeah. If if we go into the scoring now, I know Jack does have to dip, but I do have Jack's cards. So if, if you want to uh, bounce now, Jack, then don't worry about it. No, I, I'm, I can stay, and then when I'll go, I'll just drop off. All right, Sam. Um, so, Keenan, I'll go to you first. Um, which film did you prefer? Everest. Sean, which film did you prefer? Everest. Jack? Revenge of the Sith. It, it's, it's Everest for me. Um, Jack, I'll go to you. Which one do you think is more rewatchable? For the re- only for the reasons I've stated. <laughs> I just can't put myself through that sadness again. I can't see Rob Paul go again. Keenan, what about you? Yeah, I agree with Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never, never going to watch either of them ever again, but for totally <laughs> different reasons. But if you said, which one do you want to stick on? I'll just have to go Revenge of the Sith. I ain't doing that again. Uh, Sean, Sean, what about you? Um, yeah, mine's Revenge of the Sith. Mine is Everest, and uh, it does sound, does sound dark. I, you are I've a just, I quite literally, I've watched it more. I've watched it more recently in a short span of time than I have Revenge of the Sith. So I, I do clearly find it more rewatchable. Um, but as I said, it, it, I know it is dark, but it's. It's it's how nice the film looks. Is what it's kind of yeah. But it's not in. it's not the fact that it's dark. Like some of the films we do on the pods, the Eclosed John Wick, etc., dark films where people just get fucking fucked up constantly. This is dark. This is a specific yeah. kind of dark. This is actually yeah, just sad. That's yeah, the it's just a it's, very sad film. It's Sunday morning. It's it's Sunday night sad. Mm. After an Arsenal loss in one of them dirty seven o'clock <laughs> kickoffs. Um. Keenan, um, to stick with you, um, what's the best moment slash scene for you? Uh, the battle, battle on the lava planet. Sean? Uh, yeah, it's the same. Jack? Yeah, Mustafa. Same for me. Um, 
Keenan, what's the best quote for you? Um, I know we haven't didn't go through the quotes for um, Everest. I did have a couple down actually. Um, we don't need competition between people. There's competition between every person on this mountain. The last word always belongs to the mountain, which is quite good foreshadowing. Um, you know what they say, man? It's not the altitude; it's the attitude. Yeah, I do have that written down. <laughs> I'm climbing Mount Everest because I can. Because to not be able to climb, because be able to climb that high and see that kind of beauty that nobody ever sees, it'd be a crime not to. Well, Doug, it was a crime for you to do so. And <laughs> if he's if he's looking down on us, I, I, I do feel bad. But come on, you haven't left as much choice here. Um, and then the why because it's there was the other one I had down. Any more that anyone else had? No, not overly. No, I didn't really have any quotes. No. Um, well, I'm thinking, oh, actually, what, what, what was bit. your pick of the two films then for quote Keenan? Uh, it's Anakin. I have the high ground. <laughs> uh, Jack? Hello there. <laughs> what, can someone actually remind me what hello there is from again? It's when, right at the start of the film, isn't it? He... No, it's, it's when Obi-Wan gets General Grievous on Utah. Okay, yeah. He jumps down. Yeah. General Kenobi. It says something similar in the second one as well, um, where they clearly tried to make it a thing. But uh, Sean, what was it for you? Yeah, high ground. Uh, I agree. Although the way he said democracy has been in my head all day. <laughs> Sean, we'll come back to you. Um, who's your MVP? MVP. Palpatine for Revenge of the Sith. Keenan? Rob Paul. Jack? Yeah, I'm going Rob Paul. Actually, I'm changing my scorecard answer because he, what guy? I'm, I'm, I'm going for, for Beck. I mean, I prefer as a bloke, but. Beck. Harold. Harold, my number two MVP. Fucking legend. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, who was the best side character for you, Keenan? Mace Window. Jack? I had Jake Gyllenhaal. Nice. Okay, okay. Scott Fisher. Sean? Good shout. Um, I had R2-D2. <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've got Mace Window. <laughs> Tough one here. I'll go to you first, Keenan. Um, which one has the more difficult adventure? Oh, I gave it to Everest. What about you, Jack? Yeah, I'm giving it Revenge of Sith because fighting one of the most powerful Sith Lords ever is pretty difficult. And someone's climbed Everest before and lived. Sean? Uh, Everest. Yeah, that, that was the differentiator for me was that they're both difficult adventures in Everest. I mean, they did, they did get the job done here. That does give some credence to the adventure. I mean, the adventure they did have in Rendell Sith, essentially, they got it all wrong. 
he goes on to become even stronger and kill millions more people. Yeah, that's true. And I guess as well with Everest, you think Jedi are equipped for this adventure quite aptly, whereas these guys are just normal guys. You've got you've got a fucking postie trying to climb a mountain. Exactly. We, we might have to do um, some off-air uh, discussion about that category for next week as to uh, Whether we're how talking... we score it. Yeah. Like. But we'll, we'll do that off-air. Keenan, which for you has more visual appeal? Everest. Jack? Yeah, I've gone Everest, although Star Wars has aged very well. Sean? Uh, Everest, yeah. There is a lot of visual appeal in, in that Mustafa scene, but uh, Everest, Everest is, yeah. is overall. I've gone really... for the same. And that last shot in Star Wars is, is really nice as well. Tied in with a new hope, is it not? Yeah. I, I do really hope that Revengers Sith win, just because I don't want to be this sad again. <laughs> well, Jack, I'll go to you first. Um, which film has the best soundtrack for you? Oh, Star Wars. Oh, I agree with you there. Um, Keenan, what about you? Yeah, it's Star Wars, but to be fair, Everest has got some bangers in there. <laughs> uh, Sean? Uh, yeah, it, it is Star Wars, but but yeah, that was good. We, we didn't touch on because you got. All I do is have some fun, and then here comes yeah. that stepper as well, isn't there? For any others yeah. that I missed, yeah, that amazing. Uh, take Weather with you by Crowded House. Oh, oh what yeah, a song. what a song that is! Great song, but yeah, Keenan. it's revengeless. Keenan, which film is more original for you? Everest, Jack, got Revenge of the Sith because Everest was kind of based on a book. I mean, technically, so was Star Wars. <laughs> All of them are based on books. There is a whole series of uh, 70-odd not novellas. Yeah, well, the books came Which, out. by the way, Jack, for you, if you ever get a chance, read the one about the bounty hunter. It's fucking awesome. It's the only yeah. bit about Star Wars I like. Alright, I haven't read that one, actually. Man like Boba Fett. Mm. Yeah, if you get a chance, it gives you his whole backstory. My dad told me oh, no, to read it. I have, I have read Everyone it. loved Boba Fett back in the day for a seemingly insignificant character in the grand scheme of things. Mate, if you if you can find it, because apparently it's there hard to get rid of my uncle had a copy that he gave my dad that my dad gave me. No, I don't, awesome. I have, I've actually read it. The Boba Fett one I have read. Um, awesome. But um, yeah, it's like or a Django Fett man myself. Unless <laughs> someone's burnt in front of your eyes, just don't assume they're dead because. So one thing I didn't mention before that to so bring Boba Fett back in the Mandalorian, and he literally fell into that thing that eats people, yeah. and he got Darth Maul that's cut into down a massive hole. Well, well, I mean, we literally back. saw Anakin burn before our eyes, and he's he's still <laughs> he is alive. So that's then, even but, you can't even trust that. And then Darth yeah, I mean, dies and then comes back. And it's yeah. Like, what what did it take? <laughs> eat, oh, eat, you have to eat a Jedi to kill them. Does Boba Fett come back in the Mandalorian? Does he? I can't. I can't remember watching that now. Oh, sorry. I don't know if you've seen the second series. I have. Yeah, no, I have seen it. I have seen it, but I couldn't. I couldn't yeah, that's him. I don't know. I've just had a mind blank. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a yeah. massive, massive storyline. Yeah, so, sure. You, you know he is. Oh, okay. I, I will know. Yeah. I'll he helps him out. Um, there we go. Um, oh, that. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. Got you. Got you. Which is more uh, original for you, Sean? Um, I mean, 
<laughs> I'm kind of like we said. I don't. I guess neither are necessarily original. I've 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 gone for Everest, but um, again, yeah, I guess neither are necessarily original. I've gone for Everest more so. I think we've seen films like the two of them before, but typically in a survival film, which if if we're not calling it adventure, then I guess that's what Everest falls into. It's usually not as bare-boned as this. There usually is a bit more like glamorisation in it and quite literally with the survival kind of things there. So this was a bit more cut and dry, so to speak. Yeah, that was what took my choice. Um, Jack, do I need to ask you which one had a bigger impact? Yeah, Star Wars. You forgetting that September IMAX release record? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm thinking of the multiple yeah. films. <laughs> Keenan, Keenan, what about you? Yeah, Star Wars. Sean? Yeah, same. Sean, stick with you. Which has the better opening scene? Better opening scene is Star Wars. Keenan? Yeah, Star Wars. Jack? Star Wars. Agreed. Keenan, which has the better ending? Star Wars. Sean? Yeah, Star Wars. Jack? Uh, Star Wars. I agree. I did dither on this, and as, as dark as it sounds, I mean, you, they've gone so far into it being like emotional with Everest. I think it may have been a stronger ending if they'd ended it with Rob Hall rather than with Beck's story, but I understand why they did it the way they did it, kind of chronologically. Uh, I know what you mean, yeah, if they just left it with him on the mountain, and that was the end, and then or they could have done like, like an after, after credits with Beck or something. Yeah, genuinely. Not even they, that, just you, you go with Beck, Beck being saved, and then, but I kind of get they, it. If they would have left it with Rob Wall just on the mountain, and closed out with like a scene of his still body, I'm not sure if I made the pod tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what I mean. I mean, they've, they've gone so far in with making it emotional, but as I said, they've done it chronologically, which does make sense. They've not tried to make it fit a story. Um, and finally, Keenan, which film has the better chemistry for you? Everest. Between the ensemble that climbed the mountain. Yeah, uh, the, the the travel or the I suppose yeah the travels and the challenges. I I agree with you, um, Sean. What about you? Uh, yeah, same. And Jack? Yeah, same. You just total up. So I've got no idea how this has gone. So it finished 8-6 in favour of Revenge of the Sith. Oh. So it, it, was, it was very close. Um, but Revenge of the Sith does go through to the next round and that will face off against Skyfall. So that's a very tough one for you in particular, Jack, in the second round. Yes, that's difficult. Um, I know you're uh, cut for time, Jack. How tight are you, Keenan? Do you want to do the points to consider with me like we used to? Yeah, I'm going to shoot. Yes, sir. Sean, um, I I don't know how tight the time you are if you're sticking around or... Yeah, I'll probably uh, probably duck off. 
Um, me and you, Keenan, uh, saving uh, saving the day. Mm. We'll bid you farewell, Sean. Dream team, Sean, I'll, I'll stay. I'll stay. <laughs> sure. You're charming. Well, no one, you're charming. don't want to yeah. force you. No, you've charmed me. You've charmed me. All right. Well, sure. We'll, we'll go to you first then. Um, real star of the film when it comes to uh, Revenge of the Sith. Is it Hayden Christensen? Is it Ewan McGregor? I, I think it's probably McGregor. I think Ewan McGregor is probably the. I think. Or is it essentially Darth Vader? It's neither of them. It's essentially a deep breath that we get in the last five minutes that essentially is the start that we've all been waiting to see. <laughs> I was going to say that was one thing I forgot to touch on. I forgot Agreed. we watched it. Just how, but just how burnt Anakin actually is. Oh, yeah. Like full on, full on. Speaking his eyes yellow. Way. Yeah, there's no way he'd still be alive at that point. I yeah. just thought like he lost his legs. That was all burnt. Um, but yeah, he was like, and then the fire just randomly stops. I think that got me was how pronounced they make the breathing like they're very much saying like this is Darth Vader. Understand yeah. this, this is Darth Vader. Um Keenan, do you agree? Uh I mean you make a good point. It wasn't my original answer. My original answer was actually Ewan McGregor. Okay. Um I think they build to him having like because obviously they they age it on between the films and then he gets yeah. the the point where he's in charge and so on and so forth. But yeah, I, uh, you do make a good point. Yeah. I, I suspect a lot of people watch this film for the rev- the yeah. Darth Vader reveal. Harder question. Um, real star of the film for Everest. Is it the mountain? Is it, is it Jason Clark? Is it Jake Gyllenhaal? Is it Joff Brolin? I, I mean, I would personally, I would probably say Joff Brolin. I'm giving it to the mountain. Fair enough. I can't argue with it, but yeah, you <laughs> can't argue with it because it's if essentially he, the film. It probably is the mountain, but as you touched on Keenan, like Beck Weathers and Josh Bowen's character is strange. Like for most of the film, you, you probably don't really have much feelings to him. Seems like a bit of a dick. You're not that bothered that he doesn't get up to go to the mountain, but then obviously quite quickly changes once you realise he, he's blind and he gets you left get stranded on his own. That he's still an important character the whole way through, though, don't you? Like, compared yeah, to do, say, yeah. um, well, even Doug's character, like, Josh Brolin feels more important. Yeah, I mean, I'd have thought Gyllenhaal's character would have been more important than he actually is, but he, I suppose he isn't really that. Apart from at the start, then he kind of fades out, doesn't he? I, I think part of it might be all of the source material they have, like, there's several people that were in the groups that, uh, wrote about their their experiences um they're all either in uh, rob's camp or scott remember i mean he kind of dipped during the climb and so you, they didn't see as much of him as they would have of rob hall so i guess they maybe just didn't have enough to form a character yeah. of him as they do with so many others um recasting one role so the main criticism was towards anakin if you're recasting Hayden Christensen here, Sean, who who's taking over? Ooh. Hayden Christensen. I'm trying to think at that time. 
And because my <laughs> all that's going through my head at the moment is Justin Long, because he's my answer to all of these questions, but he would not be a good fit for that role. How about if, if I uh, pose one to you then? So yeah. similar times, so we've got Harry Potter going on at the same time. If you take the kind of evil role here, you take Tom Felton that plays Draco Malfoy. Do you think he does a better job than Hayden Christensen or a worse job? I don't know. I think he can. I think he can do well as as well, essentially the Darth Vader version of Anakin. But I don't know if he's as good in not as babyface. Uh, yeah, the babyface side of it. Um, Any suggestions from you, Keenan? Could be Jay Baruchel. My guy, um, Adam Adam Brody. Adam Brody. I don't really know. I'm gonna to have to Google that. Hold on. He's the guy that is alongside Zac Efron in that Mike and Dave the wedding dates, and it's a horrific shout. <laughs> I don't think that guy's surname's Brody. You know, Adam Brody is very he, different. Adam Brody is. He said Mike, didn't he? No, Adam no. Adam Brody. Yeah, Mike Brody is a character in Jaws, so there we go. I'm even I'm mistaken as well. Adam Brody is the guy who played Seth Cohen in the OC. Yeah, <laughs> see, yeah. Yeah, I assume that's who you're talking about. Uh, the guy you're <laughs> the guy you're thinking of, Byron, is called Adam Devine. Okay. Adam Devine, that's why I was yeah. half. Yeah. <laughs> not him. Not him. <laughs> the OC, though, uh, great show. Never seen it. Ha- what? You, I thought the way the way you answered that was such confidence. <laughs> I figured I figured you'd watched it. No, I'm literally looking at him. No, I had to Google it. I said I was going to Google uh, it. And then oh, yeah, if you, you Google did. it, it comes up. Adam Jarrod Brody is an American actor, writer, musician, producer. He's known for his role as Seth Cohen on the 2003 television series, The OC. Got you. Got you. His missus, by the way. Whew. I know um, one of those um, Brody brothers married into the... Uh, Kardashian family and I remember yeah. they they had some flack no, Joe, some... Joe Adam Brody goes out with sorry quickly Byron it's the woman it's who problem, it? no she goes out with the woman who plays the I'm sure she plays the mum in That's My Boy no no she plays yeah. the missus in That's My Boy maybe we've got them mixed up I remember someone married into the Kardashian family on Bruce Jenner's side and said that he had hot stepsisters and obviously it didn't go down well as you'd imagine there we go it was Brody Brandon and obviously Brandon Jenner um, would you recast anyone in Everest or are you leaving that the same no I'll leave that cast as it is and if the cast swapped which film works best uh, Everest in Star Wars on the basis that I don't really want to see Hayden Christian turn up a mountain. <laughs> yeah. Who would you put with, uh, is Bro- who's Brolin in this character? Is he, is he Windu? I feel like Brolin's Windu. Brolin maybe goes in as Palpatine, the man pulling all the strings. <laughs> you got Gyllenhaal as Anakin, probably. Yeah. Jason Clark goes in as Obi-Wan. Well, what about D- uh, Doug Stamper being uh, Palpatine? No, he goes in as a little droid. Steve Reapier. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> I mean, Hayden Christensen does not have the gravitas to pull this, some of these scenes off in Everest. Well, this this works because the next question was if you had to add either Hayden Christensen or Christian Slater to this film, which would it be? Christian Slater. Goes into Everest, does he? Yeah. 
Oh, he plays Doug's role. He probably does a good job there. Hayden Christensen, you've made your thoughts clear. This con doesn't work this too well this way either. If you had to add either Harrison Ford or Paul Rudd to the film, which would it be? George, just chuck a young Han Solo in a scene somewhere in Star Wars, right? Yeah. Paul Rudd can do uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's job. He can. He can. He's a going guy. So the next question I have is, which low-key piece of memorabilia would you take from the movie? If it's not a lightsaber, I don't know what your answer is. Yeah, it is a lightsaber. Um, from Everest? So not, not sure. I take sure. um, Josh Brolin's T-shirt that he has when he gets off the bus. It was an American political one, but they just want to show it at the time. Something in Kemp, um, where they were the two people going for, I'm going to say, the Republican party at the time but okay. I just thought it was a cool t-shirt at the time and finally I mean this doesn't work either if you had to make a spin-off TV series in the world of one of the films which would it be and we've got about 10,000 Star Wars ones so I wouldn't watch an Everest one you can't really not really <laughs> sure you can get an Everest one either yeah. that would be Unless you have like it's a, the same thing every week it'd be like a TV show about the Sherpa's life or something like that to the uh, 10 part if they remade it as a 10 part show I'm watching it. Well, yeah, like back. Probably got back, a game show to see if them get to the top of Everest. Freakish now that when people from, used to climb Everest back in the day, um, a lot of them used to refuse oxygen because uh, one of the early explorers said um, you weren't really climbing Everest if you needed the help of oxygen. Bear in mind, <laughs> it was just who, killing who, who you. On earth? Like, yeah, it was I like just... one of these like 30s, 40s. Uh, it's a bit like, sm- like the smoking lot of yeah, it was very rash. Um, well, so people used to say you're not you're not really pregnant unless you're smoking. <laughs> no, 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 Joe. Like, I used to prescribe it in terms of like what's good yeah. for you and what's bad for you. I know, I know, I know. They're yeah. just, well, I don't know, fucking hell. Right, but well, medical knowledge moves on. There we go. So that does us for the week. Um, we have Ferris Bueller's Day Off against Lord of the Rings: Return of the King next week. Tough. Tough week. Buckle up, Keenan. I think you'll like Ferris Bueller, so I'll be quite I, good. If, I'll be quite good if you don't. Be my first I time, don't think I my will. My first time watching as well. There you go. It's a feel-good film. Is it? What's better, that or Back to the Future? Back to the Future, but I think Ferris Bueller is more rewatchable. Okay. I like well, actually, I prefer I prefer Ferris Bueller to Back to the Future one, so. Okay. But I, I, I think it's the most rewatchable film ever made. What, Ferris Bueller? Yeah. Christ it's the me. easiest watch ever. Wow. So there we go. And I really like the soundtrack, but we'll get into that next week. So as if we're going to confirm on the air now, Keenan, that you aren't mysteriously going to be unavailable next week. Uh, we'll see. He'll be there, won't you, Sean? Yeah, yeah, we uh, I'm so, to the pod, but the thought of spending three hours watching Lord of the Rings. <laughs> wow, well, thanks again for listening to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. We will be back. I hope Sean enjoyed his cheese and salmon fish cakes. Goodbye. I did, I did. <laughs>